When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Tate, Doug Maurice, along with Stephen Means. We are going to try not to cough, and we are going to try to talk about things beyond Tate Martell. Uh, because I don't think you guys, Stephen and I were just talking about this, we don't think they want two hours of Tate, right? No, but listen, I think there's only like five people on the planet where you could literally go on for two hours about that human being and everybody still be interested after the first like 45 minutes of the conversation. Tate Martell does not follow that list. So, yeah. He he has been a magic headline name at Cleveland.com and, and I owe Tate a debt of gratitude because I wrote a lot of stories about him and I want to write a final column about him because... He is one of those guys who who the coverage massively outweighed what he did on the field because he really didn't get a chance to do anything. And it's not really his fault, but he was a guy that people were fascinated with since he's got since he got here, and now he is gone. So we're gonna dig into that. But the thing is, Stephen, and I and I learned this early on, and I'm sure you're learning it now. Ohio State fans are very loyal but they really, really care the most about the guys who are on the team. And if you're not on the team anymore, like even if you're in the NFL, like they of course still like you if you had a good career here and you went to the NFL, but they are usually much more interested in like the backup who's here now. So if you're one of the 85 scholarship dudes, they want to know everything about you. If you're not, a lot of people kind of are like, why are we bothering? And Tate Martell is no longer one of the 85. Yeah, that's, that's true. Even if, like, yeah, you said about the NFL guys, I'll say this. They only really care about the NFL guys when it, like, relates to Ohio State. So when, like, all the guys on New Orleans Saints football team who all went to Ohio State decided to take a picture together and people call it Ohio State South, that's when they care, when they can brag about it. Other than that, eh, good job. You're making money now. Nobody which, cares. Which is fine. And there's always a lot to talk about with the 85. So Chug Chug Pickles the third at Beefy McWhatNow5. <laughs> It's amazing. The man. things that people tweet that we then have to say. So it's at Beefy McWhatNow5 said, wouldn't spend more than a minute on Tathan. Wish him <laughs> luck. Maybe sometime on QB depth and possible grad transfers. Again, 
part of what we learned is that Tate Martell's name is Tathan, which I think is pretty sweet. Yeah. Honestly, it'd be better if it was Tate Annual, just because, like, why not add that extra, like, yeah. annual to it? But I think that's probably, like, the best thing that's come out of, like, us seeing his name in the portal was that, like, you got to see a man's full name and realize that, oh, he's not just Tate. It's literally Nathan, Nathan with a T. I, fi- I feel bad that there's some bad reporting along the way here at Ohio State that it took this long to figure that out. No one ever <laughs> said, what does is, what is Tate stand for? And that we could have gotten a Tathan out of him before. You know, what's interesting is the fact that he was on the show QB1 on Netflix, Beyond the Lights. It was uh, him, Jake Fromm from Georgia, and then I forget the other guy's name, but he ended up at Wake Forest. Um, they were the original three on the show. And there's actually, like, and someone pointed this out on Twitter, there's actually, like, a note, like, his mom left him, like, on his way to school as he was showing up late, like most 17-year-olds do when they play sports and, like, nobody really cares what time they get there anymore and you're pretty much already gone. And it literally said, Tathaniel, no, it said, Tathan, don't forget to take your, like, vitamins or oh, something. Oh, it did like, say Tathan? Yeah, but, like, it's not enough to, like, wait, your real name is Tathan. I think, you know, until you, like, see it, it's like, I think had he been the starting quarterback, at some point it would have come up since you were talking to him once a week. But since he wasn't the starting quarterback, it's not constantly on your mind to, like, think of new things to say about the backup quarterback of college football. All right, so um, we're, we're going to get into some Tate, and we're going to get it into, into like what it means for Ohio State because actually that is, what, uh, that is what you guys care about more. And then there's some philosophical stuff I think I want to talk about with um, just all these quarterbacks who are on the move. And, and I do have a point, and I, I, don't, I guess I'll write this at some point. I'm, I, I think Stephen and I are in agreement. We're like pro-player Guys should get paid. Guys should have the freedom that coaches have. Like, it's an unfair system. And I know some fans disagree with that. So we're not going to make this podcast about that. But I do, I would say that I did think about something this week with all these quarterbacks on the move. Um, with Jalen Hurts and Brandon Wimbush from Notre Dame and um, Tate going to Miami and Justin Fields coming here from Georgia. And a lot of these guys are going to be eligible immediately. Tate's going to try to get eligible immediately. Justin Fields is, is going to certainly win his case and be eligible immediately. And Jalen Hurts is a grad transfer. So anyway, there's a point I want to make about that because as much as I'm all in on freedom, especially when you're not getting paid, I thought about it in a different way this week that I never had thought about it before. And I'm sure other people have thought about it this way, but I don't know that I've heard the comparison as much. So I I, I want to get to that, but I want to get to this first. Um, David Jadwin at the Jadster asked, why would Tate not wait until graduation and then announce his transfer? Seems like a long shot for him to be eligible next season. So I think this is what's up. And there's still some confusion out there. There's kind of conflicting reports. It seems like there had been sort of this underlying thing along the way as there were kind of always rumors about Tate, almost from the minute he got here, um, which was brought up to him by Ari in at the Rose Bowl. It's like, man, like we're, you're like making this stand, and we'll get to the stand, but you're making this stand. There's been rumors about you transferring all the time. So there was maybe some idea that he maybe possibly would have had enough credits to be on track to, to, to graduate here, like after the spring, and then be able to play right away as a grad transfer but then it was like no some people it's maybe not that so here's what i think may be in play um there was a report that he's gonna make an appeal to the ncaa to get to play right away like justin fields is for these other extenuating circumstances you're not a grad transfer but you don't have to sit because of x and he's gonna make a claim 
um, based on the coaching change, based on the Urban Meyer to Ryan Day coaching change. And we'll get to what you wrote about this, Stephen, because I think a lot of people read it and a lot of people appreciated what you had to say. That is a different world for him. And so I, I, I don't know necessarily that a coaching change is enough. However, I think there may be a play somewhere in there that he could make in terms of like the other stuff that happened that led to Urban Meyer, Mm -hmm. that there was a health issue that Urban Meyer and Ohio State knew about, but like was not disclosed to players. But Urban Meyer knew, Urban Meyer knew when he was recruiting Tate Martell that he had a cyst in his brain that may end his career earlier than expected. Then there's the Zach Smith stuff. And that was just like a weird, complicated situation that may or may not have played at least some small role in Urban Meyer leaving. And so I think the idea of like, hey, there's a coaching change. I don't think we're quite to the point with NCAA transfers where that's going to be enough with the NCAA to be like an extenuating circumstance. The idea of like why there was a coaching change at Ohio State and that there were things beyond Tate Martell's control, beyond any player's control, and maybe things that were like in the works that players didn't know about. I think there may be a case there. And a lot of this, just like with Justin Fields, part of it is it's not exactly like how good is your case, but in a world where it seems like the NCAA is not as interested in standing in your way, do they want to get in a public fight? Does Ohio State want to get in a public fight? Does the NCAA want to get in a public fight with a player when you had a coach who had a health issue that kind of was undisclosed? And you can't say that like, hey, this didn't affect you because like, I mean, how do you know it did or didn't affect him? And I think as far as the, the coaching change being the reason, I don't know if he's the perfect person to be the first person to get that. I'm not, I'm, and I'll, I want him to play right away, obviously. I want everybody to be able to play right away. I mean, if a coach can leave somewhere and go coach right away, why can't he play right away? But as far as, like, the right person, I don't know if, like, the backup quarterback is the right person to for that to be the reason. I think it's a good reason, and you already see it with, like, recruits. If they've signed a letter of intent to play somewhere, but then the coach ends up getting a job somewhere else, they usually let him right out of that letter of intent, and they can reopen their commitment, even though they've already signed. And I think that's the next step. But I don't know if Tate Martell's the right person to start that with. Yeah, it, it it's just I, – I think the it's not a straight coaching change. Anytime there's a little complication, you wonder, right? Yeah. So I think you make – like is this, is this going to be the guy that sort of changes stuff? I don't know. But a lot of it is what the former school has to say about you. Like are they fighting it? Mm-hmm. And then does the NCAA – again, the NCAA is – does a lot of stuff wrong. But – they they are occasionally aware of PR hits, and nobody and, wants to look bad in public. And it's like much. I mean this this whole Ohio State Zach, if that would somehow get dredged up, yeah. um, and, and I do think I don't think it's completely crazy the idea of like hey I came to play for a coach who ran a certain style of offense that I felt fit me, and it turns out while I was being recruited he actually had a health issue I didn't know about. That contributed to him not lasting my whole career. And if I would have known that, maybe I wouldn't have gone there. So don't make me sit now because not that you were deceived, but just that maybe there was something going on you didn't know about. And again, it's a matter of does anybody really want to fight it? So I I think we have to see how this works out. I think we may end up in that zone. Okay, I think we may end up in that zone. And I think 
You know, Antonio Williams, and I made this case before, Antonio Williams from Ohio State transferred to North Carolina last year. I got to play right away, and I still, I did like a request, an open records request with North Carolina to like get the information about like how, what his waiver said, and like they didn't really fulfill it. They fulfilled it, but there wasn't any information in it. And I'm still not 100% sure, but like Ohio State was happy to let him go, and North Carolina was happy to get him, and he played right away. And that's, that. yeah, you said that like, is the school fighting it? Ohio State's not going to fight that, because... Tate Martell's not going to be starting quarterback next year, so there's be no reason for Ryan Day or Ohio State to say, mm, no, we don't want him to be able to play right away. They've got the guy that they wanted to have, and so I don't see why, from Ohio State's perspective, why they would fight it. So it, like, it would literally come down to the case Tate Martell makes to the NCAA. And I almost don't know, is there like a, a transitive property thing of like, hey, I was here, a quarterback who is going to get a waiver – so he doesn't have to sit, just showed up, and that then affected me. So if the guy who basically took my job gets to play right away, why then why I? don't I get to play right away? Which, again, is sort of dangerous territory. Is somewhere in the range of, like, if your friend is going to do something stupid, why would – and, you you know, like your parents would say to you, just because your friend – Yeah. You know, would you jump off a bridge just because he jumped off a bridge? So – like, that isn't the greatest reason in the world, but it's also not nothing, right? So I just think we're entering a new territory here, so I mm-hmm. think there's some of that there. Again, that's about a guy who's not here anymore, so I don't know that you guys want a ton of that, but we gave you some of that, all right? So at Nikki Unders, kind of asked the question, and, and, and all of this is now it's, we're just trying to get in Tate Martell's head, and we're going to get to the quarterback's room for Ohio State soon because um, we know I think that's what you guys care about most. Nikki Unders, how did we get from the Rose Bowl interview where a defiant Tate said he'd be the starting quarterback here next year to him transferring to Miami just a couple weeks later? The, like, what I want to say is, like, I love Tate. Like, I feel like a lot of this isn't his fault. He's kind of a wild card. He's the kind of – I mean, he's interesting. He's exciting. He gave us all a lot to talk about and think about. I always thought, like, by by the football season, there was no way that Justin Fields and Tate Martell were going to be on the roster mm-hmm. for the start of the 2019 football season. Like, I didn't, I didn't rule out Tate winning the job in the spring, but I certainly thought Justin Fields was the favorite. So the idea that, like, he ended up transferring now instead of transferring after the spring, I don't think it's that big of a deal for anybody. But it's this interview where, like, he guaranteed that he was going to stay and fight. Like, what – I was there. You weren't there. But just like I don't know. I don't have any greater information about it than anybody else. Why would a guy do that? He's 20 years old and it's yeah. emotion. Like it's literally what the, this whole month has literally been an emotional roller coaster for a guy who after the Big Ten championship said to me, I have no plans on going anywhere. And that's when I asked him about transferring before Justin Fields was even a thought in anybody's head. And – and that's what it boils down to as a guy. Like, he's, he's, these are still kids that we're talking about here. We're 20, I'm talking about kids like I'm not 24 years old, but he's a 20, 21 year old kid who's, you know, who was threatened, who felt threatened. Yeah. And every, like I said, in, I, I wrote about this. It, it, when you have a job and you feel secure in it, and then all of a sudden somebody comes along and you no longer feel secure in that, you're going to get a little emotional and a little defensive. And that's what he got. In that moment, he got emotional and he got defensive because. He wanted to be here. He, he wanted to play for Ohio State. He wanted to be a, the quarterback for Ohio State. When we talked to him about Panera, off the record, but just the yep. way he was talking, it, he wanted to be here. He had no intentions genuinely of leaving. It just didn't make any sense for him to stay here. And I think 
that's a credit to the people who are around him to have that conversation with him and say, listen, somebody around him said, listen, I know this is where you want to be. This is dream, whatever, childhood, whatever. But at the end of the day, this is not, it's not going to work here for you. Even if like you waited, even if Justin Fields was, it's Justin Fields going to be here for two years. So there's no chance of you being the starting quarterback at Ohio State. And someone around him through all that emotional roller coaster that he's took everybody on since pretty much the, since the Rose Bowl, someone sat him down and let and had a real conversation with him. Of there's no point to you going through a spring competition where you're already fighting an uphill battle with a guy who literally transferred here, who would not have transferred here if he did not think he would be the starting quarterback. And that's what this boils down to: emotion. I, well, I do, I do think. It, he knew what he was saying at the Rose Bowl. Yeah, yeah. I'm not like, saying he like was speaking he, out of turn, but he, he had a plan. And and as I finished with him, I didn't stay. We had a we had a half hour period. I didn't stay with him the whole time, but that was there for about twelve minutes. Um, at the from the beginning to the first twelve minutes of him talking, I asked a lot of questions, and I was I was very into it that day. Very excited to talk to Tate. And I said, "Were you sort of waiting for this opportunity?" And he was like, "Yeah." And I said, we were waiting for you. Like, he, he's savvy. Tate is, Tate knows how the game is played. Mm-hmm. So he knew what he wanted to say that day. There are times, and I don't think any of us in this profession should do it on purpose, uh, but there are times when kids get stuck because they sort of get blindsided or they're not prepared for something. And again, they're just, they're a young person in a media environment and they don't, they say something they don't really mean. He meant that. That yeah. day. He said exactly what he wanted to say. I do think the, the the secondary thing here, one is maybe he just doesn't care. Like, because you could look at it and say, like, man, you kind of look silly now because you just said this three weeks ago and now you're gone. And like, you're the thing that you said you promised you wouldn't do, you're doing. A, I don't know if he cares. Who cares? That's what he felt like saying that day. But the other thing is, I think there's a component of it. And I've said this before. You gather more information, as, as you said. If someone talked to him out, said, "Listen, I know, I know you said this, but actually, yeah. given the circumstances, this is actually the real deal." And I think, for instance, if they're going to try to make a case about coaching change and things, that's a better case to make now. If you like stay for the spring and lose the job, and then try to say, "Hey, the coaching change screwed me up," it's like, "Well, listen, man. If you thought it was the coaching change, why did you stick around?" Yeah. So I think there may be part of that, but I also think there may be a component of like, if you think it makes Tate Martell look silly to say that and then do this, I don't think he cares. No. I don't think he cares. Like he said what he wanted to say, and now he's doing what he wants to do. And if what he said then doesn't match up with what he's doing now, I don't think he cares. There's a reason why he's you know a beautiful headline for us and pretty much everybody around the country, even Love though it. he's barely ever seen the, the field. There's a reason for that, and that's because he's always been like that. He doesn't care. Literally in the show, they play. A, he's having people tweet for him while he's on the field. He's tweeting things out, and his coach, high school coaches, like, "Yo, you need to take that down." He doesn't care, and that's why a lot of people were a little worried that maybe he get caught up in that. But he's smart. He's not an idiot. Like he's just, he just doesn't. He he's unfiltered, but he's smart about it. Like he knows exactly what he's doing. He is a a. a of this media generation. Yeah. And he's been in front of the camera since, way before, since, as you said, since way before he got to college. And uses it to his, to the best of his ability, and, to his advantage. And maybe not do it, like, I don't know if it gave him an, like, he took a shot, 
like if people were like, is he trying to scare Justin Fields off? And I was like, oh. I mean, well, now we'll never know if it was to his advantage because we never got to see the actual competition. But it yeah. was definitely like there was a part of him that was like, I'm going to use this as like, and you see professional athletes do it too, use the media to like Absolutely. get messages across. So like, he's just a college athlete doing it. That's what makes it so interesting. And l- let me tell you. I was thrilled to be used. <laughs> I, I just, I just laid down like a dog. Like, thank you. Like my dog, always is like lying down and curling up her legs, like she's in rigor mortis, just like under you, and just like waiting for her tummy to be rubbed. And I just, that, that's what I felt like with Tate Martell. It's like a weird example. To Tate use. Martell was standing in this room in like this blow up tent outside the Rose Bowl because that's where they had the media day. They like built a tent. And it was in this room, like in the parking lot. And I just walked up to Tate Martell, and I just went right, lied, was lying on the ground, waiting to have my belly rubbed. And he rubbed my belly for twelve minutes, that's and I got two stories out of it. I and like that's I, a really weird way to put that. When I was done, I felt good. Okay, that was some good belly rubbing. So thank you, Tate, and also Tate. By the way, call me. <laughs> he's not gonna call you later. Come on, man. I I, I think if I, I think put he's that type. if I put your name if I put your name. In the headline of this, and if he's like Google searching himself, and then as a result, he's now listening to this, call me. I just want to talk to you. Like, listen, man, I just, uh, who's the guy? Who's the guy who asked Ryan Day 30 questions about in Tate August and September about getting Tate Martell in the field? <laughs> that was me, man. So can I get a little? Can I get a little more belly rubbing? I can't one more Tate. So I feel like I who found you? Who found you? When you tried to sneak out of the yeah. locker room in Indy, Steven, can we get a little more belly rub on your way out the door? Just one. Little scratch on the head, little treat. Come on the podcast. <laughs> 15 minutes. I'm begging for one little more little tape treat. So I will say, talking about the uh, the magic headline name that is Tate Martell, one of the other uh, people on the beat um, called it Click Tate. Maybe I already said that. Said a click bait. Everyone That's talks about one. click tape. So we're losing some click tape. So we got to find some more. I hope tomorrow I'm a call, please. Um, <laughs> oh my God. He's the new tape artist. So listen, so, so we want to move on a little bit, um, from, from the Tate discussion to the Ohio State quarterback discussion. And we'll start with Tom at catchphrase29. What do we do if Fields isn't eligible for the 2019 season? Listen, like, I guess nothing is 100%. He's going to be eligible. And again, it's just this new transfer world. I haven't done a ton of reporting on it, but it's just going to happen because it would be ridiculous if it didn't. So, and if it, on the 0.2% chance that it doesn't happen, then Matthew Baldwin's going to have to play. Which, who Ryan Day loves. So. Who Ryan Day loves. <laughs> and JT Barrett in 2014 was a redshirt freshman who had redshirted the year before after an ACL injury in high school. Matthew Baldwin to the exact same boat. He redshirted this year after an ACL injury in high school. He was going to redshirt anyway. He said by the back half of the year he was healthy and ready and doing all this stuff. We've written about Matthew Baldwin. I'm a little skeptical that like a guy who was going to go to Colorado State is this gem that Ryan Day somehow found and now he's going to be an All-American at Ohio State. But that's who the quarterback would be. And let me – I will refer you to the story that I just finished, which is why – we were delayed starting this podcast because I was finishing this this story. I, I looked at the Ohio State quarterback rooms since 2008. 2008 was the year Todd Beckman, who had led Ohio State to the national championship game the year before, came back as a 60-year senior and after three games was benched for Terrell Pryor, a true freshman. The Ohio State quarterback room has been a mess more than it hasn't been a mess 
from Stanley Jackson and Joe Germain in the late 90s to, and this was pointed out by a reader, I forgot this one, to Scott McMullen and Craig Krenzel to Justin Zwick and Troy Smith to Todd Beckman and Terrell Pryor to Braxton Miller and Joe Bozerman to JT Barrett and Cardale Jones to Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow last spring. This is not simple. It's rarely simple. So the idea of like, oh my god, what they're they're always in oh my god. This mode. is fun for them. This is this is what happens. Of all the things that have happened, they they screw this up all the time. Jim Tressel had a Heisman Trophy winner on his team and he didn't realize it for like a year and a half. And then still did start him and had to bring him in during the Texas game because Justin Zwick was just not playing well. Do you remember watching that game? Yes, and I'm thinking the whole time, why is Troy Smith just even like the announcers were like on Troy Smith the entire time, not even paying attention to the game? It's like, dude, like I understand he screwed up, but like it's a new year. Put the man on the field. That was the first game I ever covered on the beat for Ohio State. Was that Texas game? That's so I didn't, I didn't have the institutional knowledge of everything that had oh, gone yeah. on. But it was like oh, that guy seems better. Oh yeah, like so, this didn't make any sense why Justin Zwick was still on the field. So, so we've talked about this. Has been a thing. I mean, people who have been around Ohio State, you guys all know this. They, they screw this up all the time. They blew a mini dynasty. Because they couldn't figure out Cardell Jones and, and JT Barrett in 2015. So, and and then there are other years, uh, like Terrell Pryor, actually. So Terrell Pryor took over the job in 2008 as a true freshman. Then in 2009 and 2010, and I've written and talked about this many times before, they had trouble finding backup quarterbacks because nobody wanted to come here. Because they, they weren't going to play. Why, they tried to get they, – they were dying to get Taj Boyd. And Tosh Boyd like was thinking about Ohio State, but he's like, "Why? Terrell Pryor is going to be the starter for two more years." So they couldn't get anybody, and they ended up getting taking a desperate heave on Kenny Guyton, which ended up working out great. And in the meantime, in 2009 and 2010, Terrell Pryor played like every snap. Basically, you didn't need another quarterback. So, uh, like, if it works, it's like, oh my gosh, they want four scholarship guys in the room. They only have three right now, and Chris Chuganoff, no offense to him, is not a guy they ever want to take the field. They really only have two guys right now, and they do not have a quarterback at Ohio State who has ever taken a snap for Ohio State. But if Justin Fields is good, Justin Fields is the starter. Matthew Baldwin is the backup. He plays in garbage time, and, like, it's fine. So it's like you can get panicky about not having four, but they didn't have four with Terrell Pryor because they couldn't get anybody. And you know what? They just played Terrell Pryor, and they were fine. Then when it gets sideways – it can get really sideways. In 2011, Terrell Pryor is supposed to be a senior. Instead, he's gone. They have Braxton Miller as a true freshman. He's not ready. They don't really have another good backup, so they're playing Joe Bowserman, and that's a, a, a fiasco. They end up playing Braxton as a true freshman. So it can get off kilter, but also it might just be Justin Fields wins it. Justin Fields is fine, and they don't need anybody besides Justin Fields and Matthew Baldwin. No big deal. So don't worry. Like, like what is your – I guess the, the question and and – I don't have a lot of facts on this. People are asking, like, what do you do if he's not eligible? What about grad transfers? They're going to get a they're going to get a, another guy. They're going to get a Chris Chuganoff, that equivalent of I didn't even know who he was when he showed up here, but he's on scholarship. So, like, if you have a name, great. I don't have a name right now. I don't know who might be the guy from Eastern Washington that shows up and is a fourth scholarship quarterback. But do you think, Stephen, right now, people should be worried? about the Ohio State quarterback room in 2019. No, I think 
like I understand Ryan Day has said that he wants to have four scholarship guys at that position, but I think that right now that's more of just a want than a necessary need. Like you've got you've got your quarterback for the next two years, and then you've got Jack Miller who will probably take over the job next, and so on and so on down the line. It's it's a it's more of a want and the luxury of being able to say just in case something happens, we've got other options here. But you've got you, you didn't just get a guy who's going to be willing to play, who wants to play right away, but he's going to be here in 2018. But then he's also going to be here for 2019 as well, at bare minimum. And then we'll see what like, we'll see what his job stock looks like in the 2020 NFL draft. But at the bare minimum, you've got your starting quarterback for the next two seasons. Here's the thing. I also want to make this point: guys transfer, right? So, um, someone someone asked the question, and this is what what is springboarding me into this. Michael Wine at Buckeye underscore seven. What kind of player should you recruit to be your backup quarterback? Do you go for a four or five star that maybe leaves if he's getting no playing time, or do you go for a local Ohio kid that stays four years but maybe hasn't the talent if the starter gets injured? So, I have long advocated with the Ohio re- guy recruiting an actual backup quarterback. And then sometimes I can lose track of what I actually think. And so sometimes if they, if they end up like a, with a three-star kid, I'm like, what the hell is wrong with them? Why isn't their quarterback recruiting better? And it's like, oh, yeah. Like, actually, Joe Burrow was better than that. But, like, Joe Burrow they took with the concept of- as an Ohio kid. And he was a really good backup for them. And then he was so good, he then could go be the starter at LSU. But he was a productive recruit for Ohio State. Because if they would have needed to play him, if something would have happened, he would have been able to play. And then, you know what? He transferred, and they were fine after he transferred, right? I guess it's kind of interesting now that if he had stayed, maybe Joe Burrow would be the starting quarterback in 2019 because Dwayne would have played for a year. But he started at LSU. can't be mad. So I am a little bit apprehensive about the Matthew Baldwin situation. And I'm mostly apprehensive about people thinking that a guy who was going to go to Colorado State is going to be, like, the guy for Ohio State. But you know what he might be? The perfect backup quarterback. The new Kenny Guyton. And you know who was Kenny Guyton? You guys know the story. He was going to go to either, like, Prairie View A&M or Rice. They could not get a quarterback. John Peterson, who was the recruiting coordinator back then, was in the city of Houston on National Signing Day. They were like, we need a quarterback. It's National Signing Day. It was like... Is there a quarterback in the city where you are? And he like was like, well, that, I went to Kenny Guyton's high school and was like, how about you? And that's how Kenny Guyton ran up here. He was perfect. But Joe Burrow transferred. Taylor Graham, who looked like a, a, a really solid Ohio State backup quarterback for a while. His dad was Kent Graham, who played at Ohio State. He was here for two years. He transferred to Hawaii and became the starting quarterback of Hawaii. So the goal here is it, maybe Matthew Baldwin is that guy. Maybe he's not. But if he is, then the goal is you want him to develop the way Kenny Guyton did and not necessarily the way Joe Burrow did where it's like, yo, you could go start at an SEC school. Like you want him to be good enough to where he could start at maybe, you know, like a Colorado State or, you know, Texas Prairie View or like a mid-major school. But he's not good enough to like – go to another Power 5 conference and be the starting quarterback and oh, have a team ranked top five in the country at one point. And it's just I – think, I think it's mostly when you think you need to transfer, right? That Joe Burrow's trans- transfer really ended up having no negative effect on Ohio State. He put in three good years here. Mm. Tate could potentially have a negative effect depending how the room shakes out, right? That, that if Matthew Baldwin – so what year is it? What year is it right now? Is it 2019? Yeah. I always forget what year it is. Why? Much less what day it is. I forget the year. It's 2019. So Matthew Baldwin is here 18, 19, 20. Say he's here those three years, right? So then for 2021, 
like if it feels like Jack Miller's going to like win the starting job as a as a redshirt freshman and they have like a good guy in the 2021 class um then if Matthew Baldwin left maybe it wouldn't be the end of the world here is one thing that I think is a point worth making on some level when it happened on signing day I felt like Justin Fields and Dwan Mathis were a trade right that yeah, Dwan Mathis went to Georgia. <laughs> yeah, he was going to be Ohio State's yeah. quarterback in this class. Ohio State wound up with no quarterback right. in the class of 2019. But they were getting Justin Fields, right? Which is interesting right there. If, yeah. if I'm mistaken, Justin Fields hadn't yet like, entered the transfer pool yet at that moment. It, all the talk had but started. Talk had- Every, like, it was happening. It was already pretty clear it was going to happen. So at that time, I thought, okay. And I got a vibe from Ohio State that's like, are you – angry or worried or upset that Dwan Mathis isn't here. And it was like, no, we're fine. So it was like, okay, they traded Dwan Mathis for Justin Fields. And now they traded Tate Martell for Justin Fields. So like either of those trades, you'd take Justin Fields, right? Yeah. But actually what they ended up doing is trading Dwan Mathis and Tate Martell yeah. for Justin Fields. So they traded their 2019 quarterback and they traded their 2017 quarterback for Justin Fields. And so... I just said the thing like, oh, if they have – if Jack Miller's ready and Matthew Baldwin would transfer, well, actually in that scenario, if they only get – if they get like a grad transfer like the chug quality right now and Fields is gone because they don't have a 19 quarterback, like they actually down the line could end up in a world where like if Matthew Baldwin transferred in two years and Jack Miller like as a redshirt freshman was like the most established guy on the roster and their quarterbacks were like in 2021 were like – Redshirt freshman Jack Miller and the guy who just came in in the class of 2021. And then again, now you're chasing grad transfers to be mm-hmm. backups and you're you're off a little bit. And that's kind of would be the case because you didn't get a 19 guy. You know, so like you didn't get a 19 guy. If you're 18 guy transfers, now you have a hole again. So I'm not trying to freak people out. It'll It'll work out, I guess. But I think in the end, the Tate Martell, Justin Fields trade – Ohio State is absolutely comfortable with that. But Otherwise, that, they wouldn't have done it. But the fact that you traded two for one. <clears throat> Just the, the numbers game. And so that now that Tate's gone, I think maybe you would, would wish you had a Dwan Mathis or someone like that or some recruit in 2019. Now, the one thing is 2019 recruiting is not over. And there are some quarterbacks out there. Most of the good ones are gone. But maybe they can get somebody as a 19 quarterback late in the cycle because if you're presenting this kind of stuff to them, listen, man, okay, so Justin Fields is probably going to be the starter here for two years. But if you come now when you're like in your third year, you might, you're going to be competing for the starting quarterback job. They might be able to sell somebody. I can't tell you names. They would have to sell somebody who's, who I don't know if there's any – off the top of my head if there's any four – Star. There's probably not any five star guys left. No. Yeah. And then four, maybe a four or three star, a guy who like needs to sit and develop anyway. Right. Like, it can't be somebody who like next year is going to be trying to maybe steal the job from Fields. It have to be somebody who understands that like not only do they have to wait, but they like need to for developmental purposes. All right. So I want to get in now to like the sort of the philosophical recruiting thing that I was I was talking about earlier, and then we'll get back into the roster. Um, so we're playing musical chairs with quarterbacks now, and I'm all for player movement, and especially when you talk about coaches can leave and there's no there's no ramifications for them leaving and kids are stuck. Um, players, though, 
players have contracts. And so uh, when you're, the comparison is like, why can um, – who are coaches that change jobs this offseason? I can't like, even think. Alex Grinch. Yeah, why can, right. But why can Alex Grinch leave or why can Manny Diaz leave Miami as the defensive coordinator to go to Temple to be the head coach there for two days and then go back to Miami, right? Right. And, but, and the kids can't move. Okay, I, that's a that's a good argument. Baker Mayfield can't just go play for the San Francisco 49ers tomorrow. Francisco Lindor can't go play for the New York Yankees tomorrow. Colin Sexton can't go play for the Milwaukee Bucks tomorrow. Players have contracts. But they're one-year contracts. No, they're not. I'm pretty. Don't they have to re-sign those every no, summer? Col- don't they? All these rookie contracts. Baker Mayfield's locked I'm not, up. No, I'm not the- talking about rookies. I'm talking about a college player. Like, no, most of them have four-year scholarships. Now. Right, but they have to like consistently like redo the signing because if they do do something, it voids it. Like if they do anything that like screws it up, it voids it. So I'm pretty sure I might be wrong about this. this no, they si- they sign they sign. The whole big thing was a couple years ago. The Big Ten went to a four-year scholarship. Thing. Instead now you of just, can, okay. you can get kicked off the team. Right for like. For like breaking a team rule, or if you get kicked out of school, just like if Baker Mayfield did something, the Browns could choose to release. Okay, because I like I have a friend who played at Kent State, and like every he had, they just had to re-sign their LOI. Just more, it was I guess more for a for just re-signing that like the things that are in that contract of like you know you're amateur yada 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 all but that good stuff. But I mean that's kind of beside the point though. So but like, do you think that's a? But do you th- is that a comparison? Like so that so okay so to me the idea is. If, if we're now, and I always was for player movement, I was for player freedom, but now if we're in a world where the Alabama quarterback is going to be the Oklahoma quarterback next year, and the Ohio State quarterback is going to be the Miami quarterback, uh-huh. and the Georgia quarterback is going to be the Ohio State quarterback, that's not how it is. That's not how it is with players. Players yeah. have contracts, and they build up the right. So if you are – now, Jalen Hurts is a grad transfer – the idea of grad transfers is sort of like you have to put in your rookie contract and then you become mm-hmm. a free agent. I, I don't like this. I, I'm. It's just made me think about it a little differently. And I'm sure I'm not the first compar- person to compare it to that. But normally the comparison in college is college player to college coach. Is there not some reasonable comparison to college player to pro player? And let me make this the second part of the question, Stephen. We're for paying players, right? Mm-hmm. If you professionalize college athletes and and start to pay them, treat can, them as pros, then I agree with what you're saying. Will, then would it be reasonable to to pull back on this transfer stuff? Yeah, then I agree with what you're saying. But you're not paying them. I think my only problem with the transferring, um, Justin Fields is going to get the hardship, like the, for that reason. And that's real. The, the reason he's going to be able to play is because there was an idiot on Georgia's baseball team. That's that's right. pretty much the reason why and, he's going to be, and it's not actually the reason that he's transferred. No, it's not. No, right. no. But it's the oh, the official reason. That's right. what, that that's what gave him the out. Like before that, he didn't have an out. That gave him the out to be able to actually do this. What it I think what it boils down to is, you were wrong. You thought you were wrong. You you were overconfident in your abilities. You thought you could go into Georgia and you could take the job from somebody who just played in a national championship game. You didn't win the job. You were wrong. You thought that, and you were wrong about that. And now, because you were wrong, instead of just waiting your turn, you want to leave. That's what that boils down to. And 
it's the same. It, it would have been the same thing with Trevor Lawrence. I don't know if he would have transferred or not, but it's the same concept. You had the two best players in the country. Both of them went into schools that were in the college football playoff last year with their respective quarterbacks. Both of them had the same mindset. I can go in there and I can take that job from them. One did, the other one didn't. One just won a national championship and is going to be the starter there for the next two years. Maybe, because there's probably another quarterback who has the exact same mindset in college right now where he's looking at Trevor Lawrence or he's looking at Jake Fromm or Tua or whoever and going, I can take that job. I know he was just very successful, but I can take that job from well, him. Well, uh, the, Trevor Lawrence drove out the guy who was one yeah. class ahead of him at Clemson, Hunter Johnson, who was another five-star guy yeah. who transferred to Northwestern. He did have to sit out this year, but he's going to be Northwestern's yeah. starting quarterback And that's year. what this boils down to. You, If you're a five-star quarterback and you're – with all intentions of enrolling early and playing college football that very next season, you have a thought process of, I can go in, it's a competitive thing, I can go in there and take that job from that guy. Well, sometimes you're wrong and you can't take that job from that person. Okay, so, so let me ask this question then. So pretend that the Justin Fields thing never happened and the 30-second thing for people who don't know about it is there was a, a Georgia baseball player who uh, during one of the Georgia games this year was drunk in the stands and was mm-hmm. yelling, put the N-word in the game. Right. And it's a ridiculous thing to say. That guy was disciplined. I think he was kicked off the team and maybe yeah. kicked out of school. But that's going to be part of the appeal for Justin Fields because part of the deal of, of how you can be eligible right away is like if you were in a, an, an unsafe or uh, an environment at your previous school that did that was not cool, not good. Right. right? So he's going to play that. But we, of course... In the reality, that's not that why he stunk, leaving. but that's not why Justin. No. So if that never happened, and it shouldn't have happened, if it never happened, Justin Fields would still probably want to transfer from Georgia, but he'd just have to sit, right? He, yeah. But do you? Would you be so? Jalen Hurts is a grad transfer. Tate is going to try to make the case we said before to Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, would you be in favor? And again, the Antonio Williams example. I don't know. Antonio Williams just got to play. Would you be in favor? of Justin Fields getting to play right away at Ohio State if that other thing had never happened. Like, his, if he didn't really have a case to make. Because I always thought that I was. Except now that it's happening, I'm not sure that I am. And, and I almost feel bad about that because it is about the kids. But, but again, they get a stipend, they get a scholarship, it's not enough. But there is something about a commitment, and like you said, Justin Fields knew what he was getting into, and so just to leave and get to start at another school the next year, he happens to have a thing that happened. But if that didn't happen, Iron- would you want him to be able to play right away? That's an ironic thing to say somebody got lucky about, because you didn't get lucky because somebody called you the N-word. You got lucky because it happened when it happened. Right. I think, because that's never, no, that's not okay. It's no, not worth yeah. it. He would wish it did happen. No, no, it uh, 100%. Happened, because they don't get paid, yes. Like I think there has like there's got to be a little bit more leniency with a lot of this because they don't you don't pay them, so you let them do what they need want to do. Like let them like, you don't you're not gonna pay them, so let them do what they want to do to an extent, obviously. But let them do what they want to do. Now, if, yes, if money was involved, it changes some things because hey, we paid you and you thought you could win the job, but you didn't. But we're still paying you, so right. like they should. You're our employee. Yeah, so yeah. it's a little different if. It's like being a freelancer versus being a full-time employee. Like, when you're a freelancer, you can go write for anybody you want. But, like, I can't just go write 
something for the Columbus Dispatch right. tomorrow. No, because like I'm a full time employee and not that's just a, a freelancer. Yeah, and that's as a college college athlete, you're basically a freelancer. Literally, it's like you get paid nothing and like everything's so, out of your pocket. <laughs> so, so I'll be curious. I mean, if we get to uh, if we get to a point where guys are getting paid and or, or something's happening, yeah, I think there's going to be some stuff popping here. I think in the next couple months, with I think we're headed toward a world where guys are able gonna going to be able to get reimbursed to get paid um, off their likeness, which means they can do commercials and stuff and yeah. be professionalized that way. That the school's not going to pay them. But outside entities are going to be allowed to pay them, which is like the Olympic model. I think we're headed there soon, um, and that will change things a little bit. So, so I'm curious. I just don't know the idea that that like you could look at the top 25 and say, here are the 25 starting quarterbacks for these teams in this season, and the next season, 18 of the starting quarterbacks switched, and it's like they mm-hmm. traded themselves. And like I said, Oklahoma's quarterback is now Texas's quarterback, and Texas's quarterback is Florida State's quarterback. There is does that is there any like if that's where we were, if it reached that point, if 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 they just did away with guys can transfer anywhere at any time with no penalty, would you be okay with that, or is there something a little? weird about that because it might even be one of those things where it's like Khalil Mack plays Ohio State and looks awesome and Ohio State's like why don't you transfer here next year and play and all of a sudden Khalil Mack's not at Buffalo like is that cool or is there something problematic it's weird yeah but I think I had a really good point I lost it it's a one position issue I think it's part of it. Like, there's only one quarterback on the field at all times. While, like, if you're a wide receiver or running back or a lineman, like, or you know, DB, there's constant. Like, even if you're not a starter, like, you're you can be in the rotation, so you're seeing the field anyway. While with the quarterback, it's very either you're playing or you're not. Like, that's so it's. I think it's it's hard because it's literally that's the only position where it's like that, where like guys are transferring this much because of playing time. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's so. Can you do you penalize everybody because one position is set up like that? Right. It's I don't. I mean, it's it's interesting to think about, it, and I do. I I think the game is going to change in different ways in the next five years, um, and we may have some big shifts on this stuff. And you just have to think about, um, you know, and and the thing too, it could be, and it and if it was totally free, it might not only be with guys. Who aren't winning jobs? It might be with guys who did win jobs. And just like, don't want to be. Like, what if like Dwayne Haskins was like awesome at Ohio State, but was like, man, I always really w- thought it would be cool to play um, at USC. That's doing and he just too much. transferred to USC. Yeah, the that, next that's year. doing too much. Then no, let's not. No, you know that's, what I mean. But like, that's doing. But at would least... you somehow like if you if you're a backup, you can transfer wherever you See, want. But if you start, if you're a starter, you it, can't. You got to figure out what. Look, it, it is almost like we're paying. Like, how do you do it? Like, there's like, you know, the starting quarterback get paid more than the goalie on the soccer team. Yeah, like, I mean, it is kind of like that where you've got to like. There is, like, you want things to be a certain way, but, like, you're not thinking of, like, all these other details that go into it. Like, yeah, that that's not. No, and, don't, and beyond, don't do that. Beyond, like, the money being different, like, would the freedoms be different? Like, yeah. I don't – I mean, it's it's fascinating to think about, and that's not as fun as talking about football. So we're going to transition um, off of Tate. We yeah, saw really all of minute. all of you guys um, sending the Tate 
questions, for instance, like Colvan02, not a question, but can you talk about Tate transferring? Yes, we can. Um, I mean, that's that's a question, though, technically. Yeah. Can you talk about – yes, we can talk about Tate transferring. That's your answer. So we appreciate you guys with all of your Tate questions. I think we covered that um, and beyond that. And and I think, again, I think Ohio State will be fine because Justin Fields is going to become eligible. I think the one difference, right – and some, I actually someone asked about this a little bit, and I don't. It's like you almost don't want to speak it, but like if something would happen to Justin Fields in the spring, if Justin Fields would be injured in the spring, and Stevens yeah, looking for really. something to knock on, and you never want to think about that, but like just anything that would have changed the start. If if, if and let me, I mean, if Justin Fields was abducted by aliens during spring football, right, and all of a sudden he's gone, and now the equation has changed again, maybe that was like oh. Tate thought he, if Tate had stayed to compete and thought oh, I'm going to leave if I don't win the job, and all of a sudden Justin Fields isn't isn't a factor anymore. Now the equations changed. So that is the one thing, and it's hard. You never want to be like one thing away from like potential devastation because yeah. now it's like, hey, the redshirt freshman coming off an ACL is basically like the only quarterback you have. That's not great, but also. You know, if you have two good ones you trust, and they do, they're going to have two good ones they trust. And you know what? They needed Cardell Jones as a third-string quarterback to win the national championship in 2014. That's not the norm. And so if your biggest panic is, like, that you don't trust the third-string quarterback, you also can't live in a world where you can't sleep at night because you're worried about the third-string quarterback. These are still sports. People are going to get hurt. Now, you're not going to lose your Heisman candidate quarterback and then lose another guy who – put up Heisman candidate type number quarterbacks in this that doesn't happen that was a rarity and Ohio State just happened to have an NFL prospect sitting at the end of their bench that's not going to happen every single year all right so we're going to transition and we're going to get to some of the email questions and some other take questions and I want to start this is a very broad one and a very difficult one and it's headline worthy and maybe we'll make this the headline if we don't think Tate's a magic headline for this podcast it's another one from Colvan02 now that the roster is finalized, and I do, we do want to get into this roster stuff because the deadline has passed and we sort of know what this team's going to look like. Now that the roster is finalized, who are your picks for next year's Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, and Freshman of the Year Wow! for the Ohio State Fighting Buckeyes? And let's go Offensive Player of the Year first. Um, I mean, I, I, think, I think I know where I would lean, um, but... Obviously, this team's going to look different in a lot of ways, and so I think it's worth just talking about. We'll get into some depth chart breakdowns and stuff like that coming up, but it's just worth talking about how things are going to look now that we are at this at this stage, and I think we'll probably spend most of the rest of the podcast on this. So just as a starter, who's your offensive – who's mm. Ohio State's offensive player of the year next year? Offense is tough. Um I just go Fields because he's got to throw the ball. He's got to have yeah. the ball. Like, I mean, like, it's it, – there's an idea of, like, in a Ryan Day world, when will it ever not be the quarterback? Yeah. It's like it's like it's a, it's a simple answer, but at the same time, it's like, yeah. I mean, you want to think outside the box, but, yeah, like, uh, Ryan – I mean, you saw what he did with Dwayne Haskins, and we're not saying Justin Fields is going to do everything Dwayne Haskins did, but, like, the concept is you're going to have the ball. Quarterback's going to have the ball. They're going to throw it deep. They're going to throw it short. They're going to throw it medium. He'll probably run a little bit more than Haskins did just because he has the ability to do it. I think so, maybe yeah. a lot more. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, not zone read. And again, no, like, we I, want to get into the story that you wrote. 
but certainly more ability than Dwayne. Yeah, like it's like I, I mean, it's still you know, but yeah, he's gonna he's gonna have the ball in his hand. So like that when you're talking about offensive player of the year, when it comes to Ohio State, it's like who's gonna have the ball and it's gonna be the quarterback. So I'll take Justin Fields. I think I would say J.K. Dobbins, and you know I th- I think there's a discussion there of. Um, and this can lead us into a discussion which is worth having, I, th- I think, of like how good J.K. Dobbins is going to be because he averaged 7.2 yards per carry shared as a freshman, 7.2 as a freshman. This year, 4.6. He went from – he actually had um, a lot more – he had 194 carries. It's It's quite stark. As a freshman, he had 194 carries and 1,400 yards. This year, he had 230 carries, so 36 more carries, and he only had 1,053 yards. So to go from 7.2 to 4.6, seven rushing touchdowns in 2017, he had 10 in 2018, he had more. He had a long run of 77 in 2017, a long run of only 42 yards in 2018. Um they they threw it to him more. He so he gained another extra 130 yards in the passing game. But do you think J.K. Dobbins will get the lion's share of the carries in 2019? And if he does, how much of of him maybe being not as productive, at least in the yards per carry this year, was because he was sharing it more with Mike Weber? If he's the go-to guy, if he's more like a Carlos Hyde, Ezekiel Elliott back, Mm -hmm. will he be better? Yeah, because then you're getting everything, and there's like, no. I think part of the problem was, and I said this during the season, they would just like go back and forth. Like It didn't really matter Like if one caught a rhythm and the other one was having a sucky day. You were still going to see J.K. Dobbins this series, and the next series you were going to see Mike Weber, and then J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber. Well, now that's not the case. DeMario McCall might see third downs, but for the most part, every single series you're going to see J.K. Dobbins, so he's going to get a chance to catch a rhythm and then continue to you know, build on that rhythm throughout games because he's not – Oh, he had a really good series, but now he's sitting on the bench for like the next six minutes of offense. I think having seen it, and again, it's going to be funny because we know what's going to happen. People are going to say, now that J.K. Dobbins, as soon as we get to talk to him in spring football, is going to talk about how like, oh yeah, it was hard to share. Yeah. You know, while they were sharing, it's he, like, he oh, said it's it great. Then. No, he said it then a little bit. Like, yeah, it's, it's been difficult, but like obviously he was more positive and now he can speak on it. So honestly, <laughs> I, I do think it's going to, I think a world where like, Demario McCall is sort of like in on third downs or like in on third down passing downs. Um, and that's the share rather than like series to series to series, I think makes more sense. Um, and I think he will be better. And because the hard thing is like the offensive line, again, had some inconsistencies this year. They were really good late in the year with Michigan. There's a lot of debate like who's better, Mike Weber or J.K. Dobbins. I think J.K. Dobbins still is better than Mike Weber and like a down to down. If there's not a huge hole, he'll get he'll maximize that. Mike Weber is more of a boomer bust guy to me. He had some spin moves and stuff like that, but also sometimes if there wasn't a hole there, you could string him out mm-hmm. um, and have him get tackled for a loss on a play where like, J.K. Dobbins probably at least would have gotten you three. Um, but I thought I thought, and I think I mean I thought J.K. Dobbins kind of had like a disappointing year, like four point six is, you know, a thousand fifty three yards on two hundred thirty carries. I mean that's. They had, to, I mean, they had the issues with the RPOs early on. They couldn't, they couldn't get the run game fixed with this passing game. I think they'll, we'll see that 
more quickly next year of Ryan Day figuring out how to run with this passing game that he wants to run. But I think J.K. Dobbins will have a much better year. It's my expectation in 2019. As we expand the Offensive Player of the Year conversation, K.J. Hill coming back, that's one of the the things that has happened. How big of a deal do you think that is? You know, we, we, we figured, you know, Garrett Wilson's going to have an increased role. Ben Victor and Austin Mack are going to be seniors. Um, maybe Jalen Harris will do something. Um, Jalen Gill's going to work in an H-back. But that, that K.J. Hill is back, how big is that for the offense? I think it's big, from especially in the first, like, three weeks of the season where, like, you at least got one like, guy where it's like, okay, I can, I can get him the ball. While a lot of these other guys who are still – One's a true freshman, and he's going to see the field. Chris Olave didn't really start playing until the back end of the season. Oh, right. I didn't say Olave. Right. Yeah, so just like the first three weeks of the season, I think, is where his his presence will be the the be- the, oh, God, the hugest, will have the most impact just because like he's the experienced guy on this team. He was a part of the four-man unit that you know made had historical numbers at Ohio State. So, like, yeah, for the first couple of weeks, I think he'll be huge while those other guys – you know, figure it out. Um, I wanted to, uh, man, it's crazy. I'm looking at uh, J.K. Dobbins. Man, J.K. Dobbins just had a weird year. It didn't a weird really, year. like, pick up until, like, Nebraska. Just a weird year. And they force-fed it during the Nebraska game. And then Weber didn't play against Maryland, and he had 203 yeah. yards, but it still was on 37 carries. It was still only 5.5. Um, defensive player of the year. Chase Young. I mean, like it's one of those things. It's like uh, it's like oh, I wonder who it could be, but like no. there's like pretty obvious candidates, no. sort of Young. on both sides of the ball. It's either it's probably the quarterback, maybe the running back, and then on defense, it's Chase Young. Yeah, um, who who probably was going is going to be drafted in 2020. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, so. this is it for Chase Young. So, uh, <laughs> but, but I, I do think the the, the most inter- I think one of the most interesting things that we learned um, sort of in bowl prep, and it's the story you wrote, is that, you know, there was a time when I sort of, I, I did wonder, sort of like, why isn't Chase Young isn't quite as Chase Young as I thought he would be? Mm-hmm. And it's because he was hurt. Yeah. And so, like, healthy Chase Young, if you thought, oh, maybe maybe um, teams are double-teaming him because Nick Bosa's not here, or is he wearing down because he's forced to play more snaps, it seems like, he was not as productive for a stretch in sort of the middle two thirds of the year, and middle he, third of the year. It was injuries, and he and I don't. And he said around the Michigan State game is when he started to feel a little bit better. You could tell in the Michigan game and and in the Big Ten championship. I went back and watched both of those games. All of the turnovers that Ohio State caused in both of those games, Chase Young was the reason they caused them. Um, I, I, if I'm mistaken. Uh, when Shea, pa- Shea Patterson's interception, Chase Young got his hand on uh, Shea Patterson's arm and threw the pass off. And he did the same thing in the Big Ten Championship where he caused all three of those turnovers. Like, So I, if he, he, t- he said around the Michigan State games when he started to feel better, and he was not lying based off of what I saw in the Michigan and in the Big Ten Championship game where he is literally the reason why Ohio State caused turnovers. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that Nick Bosa was doing yeah. in, the first, in the first two and a half games before he got hurt, that it's not just pressure. It's like pressure leading to strip sacks or, or tip passes and stuff that, that absolutely changes the mm-hmm. game. Certainly, he is on track for that. If if you if it wasn't Chase Young, who's number two? Because I have a number two. I'm interested to see what Malik Harrison can do mm-hmm. this season. That's a good one. Just, I, I, 
I was glad he decided to come back just because mm-hmm. I like and obviously he feels like he can be one of the best linebackers in the country. But it'll I think be he has more to show. You, yeah, and I think like I think he'll have the Draymond Jones type of year where it's like okay, yeah, come back and like prove that like you can play at this level for a full season. And I think that's he's on that trajectory to do what Jones did this season. He's the modern NFL linebacker, which yeah. is all you know. Anybody who can cover and run and hit is a little bit smaller, but is a really ferocious guy. That that's the modern NFL linebacker. He wasn't a first round pick now. No, um, he might. Have, I don't know what he would have been. Who knows? Third or fourth round pick. Right. I mean, he's a good player. He can do more. Um, I'm super like geared up for Jeffrey Okuda. Um, Jeffrey Okuda and Kendall Sheffield both played really well uh, in the Rose Bowl. Kendall Sheffield's gone. Uh, Jeffrey Okuda is back. Um, He's going to play more. He needs to play more. Yes, I'm sure there'll still be a rotation, although we don't know 100% for sure. They, they changed the defensive coaches. They changed the head coach. Um, but I feel like there's a lot more out there for him. That, that He was really good at the end of the year. I think there were times in the middle of the year where what they were doing defensively threw a lot of guys off in terms of their confidence and their, their belief in the system and their understanding of what they were supposed to be doing on a play-in play out basis um, and if you just let Jeffrey Okuda do his thing Jeffrey Okuda is going to be the next first round draft pick cornerback so I think Jeffrey Okuda I mean this is no surprise for a guy who's a five star recruit who has all the measurables and is like I think is has a great understanding of the game and has everything you want um, I think Jeffrey Okuda could be an All-American and he hasn't been that so far but I think Jeffrey Okuda could be at that level um, so our no-brainer is Chase and then Malik Harrison and Jeffrey Okuda are we do this for a living, and we've actually like seen these guys play. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take anybody. Yeah, anybody <laughs> yeah, can say Chase Young. Young. Um, but I, I, I just think I, I'm very, very interested in the de- and let's 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 de- delve into this a little bit. We'll we'll get back to the questions, but I, I'm just super interested in the idea of new guys playing on the defense next year. And here's the point I want to make about this. And I can't remember if I made this last week or not. I can't. Here's the thing that happened. The Browns hired a new coach. And it threw everybody And, off. like, I stopped. Like, I sort of shut off my Ohio State brain for a little bit. And, like, I can't – like, I can't remember. It's like it was a monumental thing. You know, it was like we got done with the Ohio State podcast last week. And then it's like, hey, it's Freddie Kitchens time. So I've been thinking a lot about Freddie Kitchens and Baker Mayfield on the Browns. And I can't remember the last thing I said about Ohio State. But I'm very interested in the idea of them playing new guys even though guys are back. And here's the point I want to make, because I think this is going to happen. The defensive staff did not do a good job last year, and they all paid the price for it. Um, and it's no holds barred. Hey, Bill Davis, by the way, got a job. He went back to the NFL. He's a linebacker's coach for the uh, Arizona Cardinals. And people noted that he's back. He's like Billy again in the NFL after our <laughs> after our discussion last week about whether you're a Bill or a Billy, depending Maybe on who you are. Maybe that's what it was. Like, he just needed people to call him Billy yeah. for him to do his job. Yeah, he's like, oh, thank you. I feel at home. Yeah. <laughs> so people lost their jobs because the defense wasn't good enough last year. It wasn't only the coaching, and we're not here to call out unpaid amateurs. But, for instance, Damon Arnett made mistakes last year, right? I mean, Damon Arnett was handsy. He got called for a lot of pass interference things. If you look at the two big runs they gave up early in the Maryland game and you watch what the coaches did, that was Damon Arnett's contain on that side Mm -hmm. on both those 80-plus yard runs. They were on his butt the minute he got to the sideline. That's late in the year, a veteran guy somehow missing an assignment that led to two long touchdowns. 
you can't just trot out all the same guys. And so I am super interested to see the seven banks and Josh Proctor and Baron Browning on the outside at linebacker and Tommy Togiai and Teron Vincent and Tyler Friday and Tyreek Smith and all these guys on the defensive line. You can't just play the same guys. And I think there's going to be a little bit of revisionist history from people who were very upset with the defense all year. And now Greg Schiano and Bill Davis and Tavor Johnson and Alex Grinch are gone. And, and there are going to be some people say, hey, you know what? Like these players, they're going to be all much better now, now that they have different coaches. And they will be. But that's not all of it. And I think you must give some shots to some of these younger, talented guys because some of these other guys who have had their shots and I don't necessarily think have shown it. So when we're talking about um, defensive players of the year, I just think there are some guys who have not played a whole lot who are going to be very important to this defense in 2019. I think I think Tyreek Smith will be what Chase Young would have been had Bosa not gotten hurt. He'll be that next year. He'll be, you know, the second best defensive end in the country. Well, not in the country, but just on this team who will play that secondary role while Chase Young gets all the double teams while they're forgetting about that other guy on the other end. So we're in the Fawcett Center. Um, they're, like, setting up for a banquet or something. But... And a town hall meeting. And a leadership academy. Class. Oh, really? Did you go to the leadership academy? No, I was. I should have went. I want to go <laughs> one day. I'm, I just want to sit in there and see what Urban Meyer's teaching style in comparison to his coaching style. Is he like. was doing. I don't. I don't know. I, oh man, leadership. I think that's his class. All if right. I'm not sure. If I mean, we have to take advantage. We have of to your youthfulness. Yeah. And we have to get you to pretend you're an Ohio State student. I'll shave a little class. bit of facial hair I have, and I'll like sneak into a class. Yeah. <clears throat> You're Johnny Depp. We're going to 21 Jump Street, the Urban Meyer. You think I could do it? No. If I shave off he knows my gray? Well. He'll, he'll be like, Doug, what are you doing? At least with me, like he doesn't know me well enough to like realize that I'm a reporter. Like, he knows you personally. I'll get a, uh, I'll get a facelift in the name of uh, <laughs> In the name of journalism. In. Yeah, I'll, I'll expense it. Um, I'll expense, <laughs> expense my Botox. Oh, God. Um, let's see. Oh, this is a good one. JW underscore Gilbert. For Steven, the seventh grade team I coached suffered its first loss last week. We lost by 15. I wish we would have shot as well as we usually do and had a chance at the end. How is losing by 15 better than having a chance at the end? <laughs> the controversial to finish to last week's Buckeye Okay. Um, and let's morph. We could answer that. And let's morph into a little basketball talk here. Okay. Um, I think they're kids. So, like. They probably had a little bit of cockiness thinking, well, I wish you would have given the record too because that would have helped me with my case here. If they're undefeated and they lost by 15, well, now you've got their attention because they're not undefeated and they're not as good as they thought they were and they smell just like everybody else does. And I, listen, losing by 15 is a great way to say, hey, you're not as good as you thought you were. But when you lose by one, it's like, okay, well, if you do this or this different, if one play was differently, then like maybe you won the game. But if you lose by 15, it's very clear as a coach that you can go to your team and go, you need to listen to me because you're not as good as you thought you were. All right. Steven is available for motivational speeches to teams that I get am. their butts kicked. Um, you can email him uh, at smeans at cleveland.com. And he will, if you have a group of young children who got annihilated <laughs> even if they lost by one listen i'm all for the motivational speeches i give them for 15 dollars an hour so yeah come, so you up. think so if a team lost by one 
you would come in and speak to them and say, you might think you're good because you only lost by one, but you actually suck. No, you no. You should pretend think, you lost by 20. No, I think with, when, when you lose in close games, there's usually one or two tweaks. That like, okay, if you do this differently or there, that play, if you did, if you would have hustled for that play or if you would have ran harder here or boxed, oh, we're talking, was this basketball? So if you would have boxed out on this play, if you'd have made that one free throw or if you'd have cut harder here, then maybe the game would be differently. If you lose by 15 plus points, it's like, dude, this team was better than you or they just like, they had a better game than you. So did. that's, that's your better scenario then. Yeah, it's if, not just, if it's the, if the team loses by 15, you will come in and explain to them why losing by why getting their butt kicked was the best thing that ever happened to them. Yeah, because there's this proof that you stink. Yes, and it's like, yeah, it's a great way as a coach to be able to say, listen, you see, you're not that good. Anybody is beatable. Now you need to listen to me. It's like there's that's it's why teams don't go undefeated in college basketball anymore. Yeah, Kentucky came close, and what they do, they lost in the national and they lost in the NCAA tournament in the semifinal. Duke lost earlier in the season. No, when Duke lost to Gonzaga, that was the best thing that could have happened for them this year because now they know the hype. They, they're not in the hype anymore. Like they obviously they come in, they've got one guy who's a a manimal, and another. You got three guys who could be the top three picks in the NFL. But NBA did they lose to Gonzaga by a lot or by a little? They lost. If, if you watch that, they lost by a little at the end of the game. But like, if you watch that game, Gonzaga won that. Basketball. But it would have been better if they would have lost by twenty. If they had lost by twenty, it'd have been like, first of all, it'd have been a major freakout by every single sports like coverage in the world. But then, yeah, Coach K could have been like, listen. But the point is, he was able to go. Listen, you're not that good. You still got to You're good. But, but, but even though they lost by a little. But this is not about losing. It's oh, about no, I'm going to look it up how much they All actually right. lost. People actually by, aren't that man. interested in Duke, They're really Duke not, and Gonzaga. So. So, so let, but let me detour briefly. And again, not off a question. I can put this in the back. Ohio are, are State you, basketball terms, too. Are you, where are you with the Ohio State basketball team right now? We were talking about this a little bit before mm-hmm. the podcast. Last year, people had doubts about Ohio State basketball. They proved all the data is wrong. This year, there were still some doubts because they lost Kid Bates D up and Jay Sean Tate. Mm-hmm. And maybe the doubts were right. I'm not going to say they were right or I'm going to right or wrong. I'll say this. All season long Chris Holtman has stated steady to the fact that we're going to find out what this team is in January. We're going to find out what this team is in January. When they started the season off 7 and up, we're going to find out what this team is in January. When they lost to Syracuse at home, we're going to find out what this team is like in January. Then they won six more games straight and Caleb Weston was pu- Pulling it together and starting to look like one of the better players in the Big Ten. We're going to find out what this team is like in January. January, 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 January. Well, then, first game of January, they played Michigan State. And it was a good game for, like, the first 14 minutes of the game. And then the one thing that has been the problem all year for them is there's always this stretch where they can't seem to, like, put it together, where they just have a complete collapse. And sometimes it happens in the first half. Sometimes it happens at the end of the first half, beginning of the second half, at the end of the game against Michigan. It happened in the last six minutes of the game, and Cassius Winston scored 18 points in the second half, and Michigan State wins. You saw the same thing against Rutgers, and hopefully it doesn't happen against Maryland. And now they're on a three-game losing streak, as a matter of fact. And I think a lot of the things Chris Holtman were saying that back when they were 7-0 and or 1-6 straight are coming to terms now. And I think what it boils down to is they're actually in a rebuild year this year. Last year was Holtman's first year, but he still had the benefit of having one of Thad Mata's better classes as seniors. And so they were – and he said that 
Jason Tate was adamant of not having a terrible senior season, and it ended up in the second round exit in the NCAA tournament, which is pretty good for a guy in his first year when he has absolutely none of his guys. Now he's got one class of his guys, and he's got the guy who's going to be his star player for at least the next two seasons after this. But they're young. Who? Caden? Ka- uh, Caleb Wesson. And then Luther Muhammad's going to be really good. Oh, oh, okay, okay. As well. He'll be really good, I think, next year. Um, especially since he's been the starting two guard all year this year. He'll be really good next year, along with the fact that they've got a top 10 recruiting class coming in. But this is the rebuild year. This is the year where they lose games because they're young and inexperienced and don't necessarily have the talent or because they're a one-man band on the offensive end. All those reasons why why things aren't working out, this is the year that stuff is happening. And last year, if they hit a bad stretch, they just give the ball to Kata, and Kata made stuff happen yeah, on his own, and even, they don't have that guy. And even that, they had the leadership. Like, Cam Williams and Tate Ross and Kata were also leaders on that team. I'm not saying C.J. Jackson isn't a leader. I'm not saying Keyshawn Woods isn't a leader, but Keyshawn Woods wasn't here last year. Yeah. C.J. Jackson is the most experienced guy, and I don't think he's the most talented guy in that backcourt. He's just the most experienced guy in that JT Barry, Dwayne Haskins. I'm not saying Luther Muhammad is going to be an NBA prospect after next year. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is JT Barrett probably wasn't the better option at quarterback in 2017, but he was he had three years of experience. So, yeah, I'm going to lean on the guy with three years of experience in comparison to a guy who was redshirting the year before. And I think that's what this is where TJ is the more experienced guy, but I think Luther is the better guy. So they're two and three in the Big Ten right now. Is that right? Yes. And they're, they've lost their last three. They have not won a game yet in the year 2019. Pre- predict their Big Ten record Whew. right now. 18 game Big Ten season. Will they be nine and nine? I think they'll be under 500 in Big Ten. Don't go to your phone. No, just I got it. Just I got gut. Gut. I'm just trying to see, like... It's just a podcast. Nobody's going to hold you to it. That's true. Well, that's I can't true. even remember why. Somebody I mean, held me to something I said last week and then asked no, me No, no, no. It's, just, it's just ridiculous things um, about not about that's Ohio true. State. If it's um, about Ohio State, you can change your mind in mid-sentence. That's true. I'm going to go 10-8 and eight in the Big Ten. Um, so 8-5 and five the rest of the way. That'd be pretty good. That'd be pretty decent. Um, I think they sneak into the tournament as a... Maybe a that's 11. definitely a, ten and eight with a couple. Of yeah, it's right? like eleven, twelve seed. Um, they need a game though. They need to. They need. They they play Michigan and Ann Arbor. I don't think they're gonna win that game, but they need a game to kind of offset this stretch, along with the fact that they lost to Syracuse at home, who hasn't had the season everybody's expecting them to have. Okay. All right, so you stick with Steven for uh, more coverage of the Buckeyes. What's next, Friday, Maryland, on Friday? Is that right? Friday at Maryland, playing at home against Maryland, 630. All right, uh, we're going to run through a bunch of football questions here. Did Damon Arnett and Kendall Sheffield make the right choice? Which one should have stayed? So Damon Arnett stayed, Kendall Sheffield left. Damon Arnett definitely made the right decision in coming back. He was nowhere near ready to go play in the NFL. I mean, it's one of those things, as as strange as it is to say – I do think when you're making an NFL decision, it's not only about whether you're ready. So, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm just kind of, I was kind of down on the corners um, this year for a variety of reasons. And there were a lot of things that came together. Um, one is that they just weren't as good as guys who were first round picks, and that doesn't mean they're bad. They, while Chase Young was was not healthy and Nick Bosa was gone, the pass rush wasn't there as much, which makes mm-hmm. it easier to throw. Um, there were just a couple things at play. Um, I, Kendall Sheffield is super fast. Everyone says he's going to go to the. He was a, he's a track guy. He was the fastest guy on the team. He's going to go to the combine and put up good speed numbers. And again, I thought he looked good in the Rose Bowl. I thought he finished strong. 
Um, Damon Arnett. Um, I, I mean, like, I would have been fine if Damon Arnett left. If he's back, that's great. But I don't know. I mean, it's like one of those things. If Damon Arnett's going to be, I don't know. I mean, what's he going to be? Is he going to come back and make himself a second round pick? I'm not saying that. Or I, Damon Arnett's, I mean, he's, I he's, think, a, he's a sixth round pick. But no in compar- for the question of like comparing those two guys, I think Kendall Shep, like, like I he think has, from Kendall a, Sheffield has more NFL yeah, traits. From, and from my comp, I think Kendall he can help his case in the combine because yeah. of what he brings athletically. Whether Damon Arnett's going to come this season and end up being a first or second round pick, I don't think that's going to happen. But just incomplete to, for that question between those two guys, I think Kendall Sheffield going to the NFL was a better decision, and Damon Arnett coming back was a better decision. Joshua Matthews. What does the quarterback room look like the week of Florida Atlantic? Win predictions with each quarterback as a starter from that room. So, so, and then we can get into this the second question from Kevin K at Browns fan one. And again, the previous one was jo- at Joshua E Matthews. What should Buckeye fans' expectations be for 2019? So, I guess the question is, what the room's going to look like for the first week against Florida Atlantic? And again, we're getting Lane Kiffin, man. <laughs> we're getting Lane Kiffin for the opener. <laughs> What it's going to look like is Chris Chuganoff and another transfer just to get another quarterback on the roster, and it's going to be two dudes, Justin Fields and Matthew Baldwin. So expectations, I guess this is a very cursory early, early, and we reserve the right to change our minds on this. But in a 12-game regular season, and you're looking at it right now, but mm-hmm. we know the crossover games in the West are Northwestern, Nebraska, and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And we know they don't have the gigantic non-conference game like they normally do. The no. non-conference games are Florida, Atlantic, Cincinnati, and what, Miami, Ohio? So yeah. so they don't, they don't have a, an Oklahoma um, or uh, or a USC or a Texas. Which is helpful for a team who's going to have a quarterback who's never taken a snap at Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, you know, they if they were playing a top-10 team in the first three games, they, they might not win. Yeah, you're a little um, bit worried. But... but what I mean, like, what's your guess? So I guess what there's a difference between like guessing a record and expectations. I think if you're an Ohio State fan, your expectation should be that Ohio State will compete for the Big Ten title again, um, because that's always the case. And again, I've been very high on this. I I thought it was going to happen this year, and it kind of didn't. But then it kind of did. Like these 2017 and 2018 guys were going to be juniors and sophomores now. Those are the number two classes in the country. <clears throat> I think there's more out there for them to be good. I think Ryan Day is really good at calling offense. I don't know exactly what we know about him leading a team as a head coach. I think their defensive staff will be better. So your expectations, what should your expectations be? The expectations should be that Ohio State's going to be the best team in the Big Ten and be in the mix for the playoff again, which is the expectation all the way along. I don't know. Like, we can get into other stuff. So – so I think that should be your expectation. In the past, if you were 90% sure that your expectation was reasonable, hey, they should win the Big Ten and be in the playoff mix. With Urban Meyer, with the way they recruit, with the players they have, I'm 90% sure that's what my expectation should be. I think maybe you're 70% sure your expectation should be that. But I certainly don't think that all of a sudden you should just think, well, maybe they'll finish third in the East or anything. The standard's the standard. They have a lot of good recruits. Ryan Day seems to know what he's doing. You should expect them to be the same Ohio State they've been. Yeah, I think from a vague standpoint, I think they're going to have a Clemson type. I'm not saying that they're as good as Clemson or that Justin Fields is as good as Trevor Lawrence is or anything. But I'm saying is Clemson was going to be in the college football playoff as long as they did not lose. Like All they had to do was 
win in the regular season and they were going to have a chance to compete for a national championship because they didn't the ACC isn't the best conference in the world so literally all they had but to do was true. I mean that's true for every power 5 team if you go undefeated yeah but like I'm talking about in a situation where especially when you're like in a conference where like you're not I mean you're not playing anybody so like you need Who, to, is Ohio State a conference where they don't play anybody they're playing the three best teams in the west they still have Michigan Michigan State and Penn State I don't know what your comparison is. Why are you comparing them to Clemson this year? This year? I mean, what's your, you said Ohio State next year would be like Clemson this year. I think if, if they win out, you're in. Yeah, but, but if that's they lose, the they're 100% going to be out. No, but uh, but why? What, what does that mean? Because of their schedule? Yeah. Oh, no, I disagree with that. I think they'll be out if they – yeah. But that's not the point. The point is can they win them all? The point is, yeah, they, I think, like, like, mm-hmm. do you think that they look like a tw- when you look at that schedule? Do you think this team can go ten and zero, or do you think it's more reasonable to think yeah, this is a are, nine and three team? No, this is those are all reasonably winnable games. So here's the thing that it's weird about the schedule, and we're only going to delve into the schedule a thousand times between now and the start of the season. The non-conference is worse. The conference is harder. They're playing. I think. I think those are the three best teams in the West. Northwestern, Northwestern. is good. Northwestern's going to have Hunter Johnson. Northwestern's good. Nebraska is going to be a pain. Adrian Martinez is the real deal. He was a he freshman this year. Yeah, they, they struggled with him this yeah. year. What's he going to do them next year? Wisconsin, do you, do, have you seen the games they've played against Wisconsin? <laughs> yeah. Wisconsin is nuts. I mean, Wisconsin, And here's the thing with Wisconsin. Wisconsin this year was a complete fraud. You know what they're going to be next year? Motivated to prove that this was a fluke and they're not a fraud, and they're going to be underestimated, and they're going to be much better. It's hard to make it. It's hard to say something without seeing at all what the defense might look like. It's like this is. It, it's hard. So they're like because the defense it has to be better. It yeah. can't be worse, right? It has to be better because the coaches are going to be better, and it's a bonus, but we'll see. Well. The linebackers are coaching. It's going to be better. I mean, I don't mean to pile on, but I mean. But. Like, I think it's 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 I mean, hard to I, make that. When I'm right, what am I, I, I going to do? My, my whole right. point is it's, it's hard to make a decision when you haven't seen what the defense. Because when you say LeBron, oh, he, that was against the defense. The, the offense was decent. It, they were decent, but like defensively, they struggled against some of these teams, and that's what it, like it's hard. So it's hard to make it like to say all right, what they'll do against certain teams until you've at least seen what the defense may look like, even if it is against a like a lower level team like Florida Atlantic. Here's the thing that's going to be nuts, right? On, de- on the defensive side, they wiped out the staff, and the defense was was the bad part of this team. On the offensive side, they wiped out the passing game. <laughs> they lost the quarterback yeah. and the three senior receivers, which was the good part of the team. They lost the all-time legendary coach. Like, there are a million things in flux. The bad stuff should get better. The good stuff's not going to be as good. And the guy at the top we know nothing about. So in terms of like trying to predict, most of the time, I mean, if you're just like trying to predict a high state's record, since I, this is my, I've been doing this, this will be my 15th season of doing this. Every year you could just go 11 and 1, 11 and 1, and you like you would have been know. in, you would have been basically right every year. What are they going to be? 11 and 1, 11 and 1. They'll either, they'll lose a game you don't expect, or they'll have, because that's what they are. They never, I mean, what do you do? Say they're 8 and 4? And you didn't really sit here and say they're going to be 12 and 0, they're going to be 12 and 0. But now it's too much new. It's like, here's the thing. You just have to, you have to be prepared for 9 and 3. I don't think you should expect 9 and 3, but you should be prepared for 9 and 3. 
because I know they're not playing Oklahoma or TCU or Texas or USC or Miami, Florida. Or you got a pretty pessimistic, like, I'm just t- expectation. No, I but I mean, I think if you're looking at that schedule and thinking it's easy, I think you're wrong. I don't think it's easy. I think the Big Ten's good. I think they're winnable. I'll say they're they're all winnable games. But they're I also think. eight losable games on that schedule, which is not always the case with Ohio State. Here, let me ask you if these games are losable: Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Nebraska, mm. Cincinnati. Like, you know what? Cincinnati won 11 games this year. Their head coach thinks he should be the head coach at Ohio State. There's going to be a boatload of weird motivational crap in that game. And Indiana, they get really early on. And Indiana is weird and has given them weird games at weird times before. So, like, normally you can look at Ohio State's schedule and pick the seven sure wins. There's, like, two sure wins on that schedule. Miami, Ohio, and Rutgers. I'll stick to I have to see what Florida Atlanta looks like. And not necessarily what the score or anything, but just like how the team looks like before I can give like a which is maybe a cop out way of looking at it. But yeah, I we don't know. It's it's a lot of new. And and this is on the table. This is like I mean, do you think Ryan Day is gonna be good? Yes, everybody thinks Ryan Day is gonna be good. Do you think Justin Fields is gonna be good? Yes, everybody thinks Justin Fields is gonna be good. Do you think Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and KJ Hill are gonna be good? Yes, everybody thinks that. Is this on the table for the first month? Everything looks like a cluster? Yes. That's possible. It is possible that with a new head coach and a new passing game coordinator and a new quarterback and new receivers that they get out there and all the stuff that Dwayne Haskins made look easy last year is no longer easy. Looks like calculus. Is that possible? Absolutely Possible. I think the other is possible too, where 100%. they kind of surprise you, which is like, where it's, oh my God, this is amazing. Last year, Dwayne Haskins made it look record breaking, and now this year, it looks really, really good as well. It's not record breaking, but it's still, oh my God. So here's the thing that's hard, right? And it, I love trapping coaches like it and stuff that they say, and then you can throw it back in their face. That's just how I am. Like, I th- Ryan Day said multiple times in 2018, Dwayne Haskins couldn't have done this in 2017. He wasn't ready for it. I thought that was a load of malarkey. I think Dwayne Haskins I think would have been ready. they weren't ready for it. So if you thought Dwayne Haskins in 2017 as a redshirt freshman, he was here in 2016, he redshirted. Mm. 2017 as a redshirt freshman, you say he's not ready. Why is Justin Fields ready? I th- How is Justin Fields possibly ready when he wasn't even here before. And he is going to be in his second year of college just like Dwayne Haskins was. And we saw what Dwayne Haskins did. And I just figured out the first question I'm going to ask Ryan Day when we get Ryan Day. Ryan, you said multiple times in 2018 that Dwayne Haskins would not have been ready to play like that in 2017 in his second year in college. Why will Justin Fields be ready to play in his second year of college and his first year out of school in 2019? And I said this in my article. I don't. They said that Haskins was ready. I think Urban Meyer and Ryan Day were not ready to go completely into that route. And they saw. And then so they were lying. I don't think that. So they can they can make the case that um, Justin Fields is ready, and say, well, you know what, Dwayne would have been ready. I if think you're, if you're making the case that Justin Fields is better than Dwayne, me, I don't buy it. Let me. No, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is it worked, and it worked really well and I think it worked a lot better than even they expected it to work. It worked when? In 2018. Yeah. In his third year in college. Right. But they say it wouldn't have worked in his second year in college. This is Justin Fields' second year in college. 
They have two quarterbacks who is their second year in college. One of them's going to be the starting quarterback. I'm you he's probably going to like say along the lines of it didn't work as well as it did, and now we've got another guy. But that's not the year. That's not the comparison. I don't care how well it worked in 2018. I'm asking you say it wouldn't have worked with Dwayne in 2017. Now you're going to play a guy. Now, the other thing is JT Barrett, as a redshirt freshman in his second year in college in 2014, it worked pretty well. So there so are times when it works. So they're one and one so far. But I can pin him down. Can I pin him down on that? I can pin yeah, him down. I mean, I can you make can him I'm just like saying of what things he may say, well, obviously in his own words. But like, yeah, we've seen it work once, and we've, we've seen it work, and we've seen them not even try it. So, so but now let, this is the tiebreaker. So, so let me ask you this, and this is why I didn't buy some of the Dwayne stuff when they said it. I don't know why they said it. It kind of bothered I, – I, I thought it was disingenuous. So maybe I just get him to admit that they were kind of but, lying when they were saying Dwayne wouldn't have been ready. Tua. Trevor Lawrence, Kyler Murray, mm-hmm. Johnny Manziel, who all these guys won the Heisman his first year as a starter. We are in the realm of first-year starting quarterbacks being awesome, mm-hmm. winning awards, leading their teams to great heights. Mm-hmm. This is the world. So is that all of that reason to have great, great faith in Justin Fields that if, you know what, if Trevor Lawrence could do it, and if Tua could do it, and if Kyler could do it, even then absolutely it. Justin Fields can do it. Yes, and I think this goes into whatever. Like this is where it's going. As far as I didn't necessarily talk about the fact that like you're seeing it with a lot more of younger quarterbacks, but yeah, I think so. I coming out of high school, the only guy that was considered better than Justin Fields was Trevor Lawrence, and we just saw him win a national championship. Once again, these are not saying that Justin Fields is going to win the national championship, but we're saying that it seems like these guys are ready younger. They, they don't are. need two and three years to sit behind some You're guy right. and then come in as a redshirt sophomore or as a redshirt junior and finally see the field. They seem like they're <coughs> ready. Man, you, we were getting I that. almost made it. Yeah, but they seem like they're getting to the point where they, they can come in out of high school. And I don't know what's going on at the high school level, that they're a lot more prepared for this. I think the fact that a lot of more of them are early enrolling plays a role in it, that they're in the system and not just like – Braxton Miller also – I don't – was he an early enroll? I don't think he was. I can't remember. I think – yeah, I, I, to my Maybe knowledge, was. I don't – to my knowledge, I don't think he was. Okay, whether he was, like I think – the point is, they're also early enrolling, so these guys have had a whole spring to also go through it. And so it's not like these guys are getting thrown into this in July after spending the whole last year in high school and just randomly got the position. I think they're coming in and trying to win out the position as true freshmen or even as redshirt freshmen, but they've had some time to to indulge themselves into a system. And I think the fact that we're in an age where the younger guy – is your option, I think that plays a role into why they feel Justin Fields is ready in a way they didn't feel that Dwayne Haskins was ready. And they also necessarily didn't have to because they had a guy with three years no, of experience. But, I, but there's zero. So we're going to lean our faces, lean your face into the phone because people are showing up for a party. Right. Like, that, like that's not true. Like if they feel if, – if part of the point is we feel Justin Fields is ready in year two when Dwayne Haskins wasn't, they're lying. One of those two things is a lie because if you're telling me that Justin Fields in his first year out of school and his second year in college mm-hmm. is more ready than Dwayne Haskins, who I think was built to be a quarterback and processes on a really high level and has an unbelievable arm, if that's your point, if that's part of your argument, well, there's just something about Justin. He was more ready in year two than Dwayne mm-hmm. was. You're lying. That is an absolute lie. It's a lie on one of the two sides. You're either They're either... Because either they were both ready or they both weren't ready. And you just made a decision based on context, which is what the answer is. Which, yeah, that's but what I think it is. But don't tell me 
that a guy wasn't ready. And then you're mm. going to turn around and tell me this guy is ready? If the answer is they were both ready, fine. If the answer is they both weren't ready, fine. I think literally the difference was in one situation, they had another guy who had three years of experience, and so they could just lean that way as the deciding factor. Yeah. There's no guy this time around with three years experience. Even if Tate Martell had stayed, he doesn't have three years experience as a oh, starting quarterback. So you're going to go with the guy but who— that's not, but, but again, that the point is the point is not— They didn't just say Dwayne would have been ready last they year. They said but he wasn't JT, ready. They said he wasn't ready. They, they, I don't think were, that's true. There's no way you go, There's no way you go from not being ready to doing what he just did. I know. There's an in-between step that has so to happen. So if you're going to tell me Justin Fields is ready, I'm going to make you admit that you were lying when you said Dwayne wasn't. You're so ready for this. I love this kind of stuff. because We all understand it. We all understand that— 80% of the stuff that comes out of people's mouths in a situation is just hot air. And when the situ- the context changes the next year, mm-hmm. suddenly the thing that was bad the year before is good now. Yeah. It was great to have two running backs in 2018, but now it's going to be great to have one workhorse running back in 2019. We get it, but I'm going to make you say it. You can't escape. You don't get to escape by contradicting yeah. yourself year to year. That's all. Um... This is an interesting question from Jesse Bowden at M House J21. It's probably a good problem to have, but did too many players opt to stay and not go to the NFL? Are we now looking at a larger amount than normal of transfer players? I'm thinking most about a certain freshman with a mysterious suspension for most of the year. So you talked about this a little bit last week too. About so I think six guys, right? Six went. Fuller. Uh, oh, no, when of, of when of when? Let's think about Jones, the guys who went. Haskins. Draymond Jones, Dwayne Haskins. Uh, Nick Bosa, Nick Bosa, Mike Weber, Mike Weber, Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, and Kendall Sheffield. Kendall Sheffield. So those are your six. So the guys who stayed, as you're starting to say, Jordan Fuller, Damon Arnett, uh, Malik Harrison. Um, there's some other guys. I mean, like I, I guess Victor and Mac yeah, maybe could have thought about it. But yeah, I, but, but they didn't like. They, they didn't they like outright. Uh, did you say KJO? Oh no, not KJ, KJ Hill, right? Hill. So, so like, is it like so? Is it a problem? I'll, I'll double check, and I've been updating. You guys can go look at our uh, Ohio State Google Ohio State football scholarship chart 2019. We have it up there. I have them. There's some conflict about this. I'm going to try to get it sorted out. I have them at 84 right now. They have to be at 85 by the start of the season. They're clearly going to add a couple guys. What we're talking about is how many guys can they add. Um, before the February signing day. And when Jesse asks about, is it a problem, <coughs> that's what you're talking about. They only signed 15 in the early, early signing period. They've traditionally signed 25 guys. Ryan Day, when it was suggested maybe you're going to sign five or six more, said, no, I think that's too many. You figured, I said at the time, probably between one and three maybe is more realistic. So they're at 84. I have C.J. Saunders, who was a walk-on receiver, who was a, uh, awarded a scholarship off because I thought he was a senior, but I actually think he does have – I've been told he has one more year of eligibility left. If you add C.J. Saunders back in, that puts him at 85. But, again, they're, they're going to have – and the NFL stuff is done. So now if you're at 85, and let's make it a little harder. They might be at 84, but let's say they're at 85. If you're at 85 and the NFL stuff is done, the only way you're losing guys is transfers. So, so you, however many guys you sign in the late signing period, you have to have that many guys transfer. So I don't think it's fair to play who's who's going to transfer a game. But the person that was referenced in the question is Brian Sneed, who has been uh, is a was our first year running back this year, who has been sort of in a mystery situation. Ryan Day won't talk about it. What's up with him? Will he not be with the team? When guys have uh, circumstances like that, 
We don't know what's going on, but yes, it's possible he may not be here. And they're still waiting on a, a recruit, Doug Nestor, who still hasn't signed, but is still committed to Ohio right. State. So, so he's when you're talking about play. adding between one and three, Nestor's in the would be one. Right. He's not included yet. So again, if you want to go to our scholarship chart, we invite you to do it. It's laid out very easily. Um, you can go through and try to find the guys that you think might transfer. If you find guys, we have it listed by position and class. When you start finding guys who are listed as like juniors, sophomores are juniors and they're seniors and they don't play, they, they enter the mix of could they transfer, right? I'm not going to say names. It's not fair to do that. But yes, you can go through here and, and you can find guys. You can find two or three or four guys. And this, again, this is with Kendall Sheffield off. This is with Tate Martell off. You can find those guys. You would say, yeah, that would make sense just based on their age and their playing time that they might transfer. So I think they could get three spots open without running off guys who really want to be here. Um, but I, I, I don't know. Like, it's always hard with the NFL stuff and why I think it's very hard to have the signing day before the NFL declarations. Like, I understand you're wanting to move up the calendar and, you, and kids can get signed and that kind of thing. That is, it makes the roster management a little bit harder. Right, because you're trying you to don't guess. Because it's like, okay, yes, we knew Dwayne Haskins was going to go pro, right? But there were some surprises in there. I think Michael Jordan was a surprise. I think you didn't maybe necessarily know about Jordan Fuller. You didn't know, know for sure about Arnett and Sheffield. So they could have guessed. Maybe they would have guessed six overall going. And Bosa was really kind of already off anyway. There were but, three for sure that you knew were not going to be here. And then Weber, Draymond, and Dwayne. Yeah, and then outside of that, it was you figure a couple of went. Go. Yeah. So I think they probably guessed it about right, mm. but it does make it a little bit harder. So I don't know. Would you rather, when you think about some of these guys, and we're not here to disparage unpaid amateurs, it's hard. Like, would you rather have, I don't know, like, would you rather have Jordan Fuller or another recruit? Would you rather have Jordan Fuller? Like, that's not a bad thing. They don't yeah. wish Jordan Fuller but it also pro. like, But it also depends. Like, Jordan Fuller is also a starter. I think when you're talking about the, the, the key thing is like the upperclassmen who don't play, I think is where the disparity is. Because obviously, yeah, you want Jordan Fuller, your start safety to come back. That's, that's an obvious thing. But, but the guys about, making the NFL choices are starters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I think what I think it's more from the transfer standpoint yeah. than it is the NFL standpoint because you still lost six. You lost six guys. That's that's not. It's a number, but it's not the largest. It's, not, it's, it's just, about the norm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's a big deal because of the positions they play. But I think it's still, it still comes down to the, the yeah. upperclassmen who do not play are where you're more, are you going to stay here? Are you going to you know, transfer to a lower level or maybe just another school in general? I think that's where the, the biggest you know, concern is, is those guys. Because they're, the rude way to put it, but they're, they're taking up a, a scholarship without necessarily seeing the field. So it's it, it's hard. I don't. I, I mean, it's interesting. I, some guys are going to leave, but I think you know they're around the number. I think they end up signing three guys probably, and they'll lose a couple guys and transfer. But but I don't know that there's anybody that decided to come back again. You know, they'll take KJ Hill. They'll yeah. take Malik Harrison. They'll take Jordan Fuller. I mean, Damon Arnett's going to start again. I mean, mm-hmm. he's going to play at least. You know, it's like it's not like they're. They're not wishing these guys away, but no. you have to prepare. It's more like you have to be prepared if they do go. But if they decide to come back, I don't think they're not. They're not in the recruiting room. They're not. Saying, gonna, dang it! They're not here. I can't believe Jordan Fuller came back. Like, yeah. they're jumping up and down that Jordan Fuller came back. All right, we're going to try to do a speed round with some of these. And then there's a philosophical question I want to get to. Our reviews have been a little up and down. There have been some good five stars. There have been some questionable ones. But one of them was asking that they kind of miss some of the food talk. 
uh, and some of the what I like to call gravassery of Buckeye talk. And I will say this: since late July, this thing has been nuts. And we do a podcast every week all year long. I don't think we missed a week last year. Get ready. Get ready for like Buckeye Talk in June when we're trying to figure out what to talk about. So that's <laughs> when you talk about robots and food more. But it has been nuts because from the first time the Zach Smith stuff came up, if you think about what happened with this team, with Zach Smith and the suspensions and Dwayne Haskins and Ryan Day and they lose to Purdue, and then Urban, like, the there has been no time the- <laughs> for food talk. We got into a little chocolate debate last week, but we there did. has been no time for that. And here is the thing, and I'm going to do a Twitter poll this week. There is a subset of people who, when we got really football-y in the last six months, were like, this is awesome. I hate the food talk. I love when it's just football. And then there are some people who are like, man, I miss kind of the goofy stuff. You've got to find a healthy balance. And I feel like part of what made Buckeye Talk Buckeye Talk is the weird, goofy stuff. And so I want to get back into that, but I want to prepare the people who have been enjoying the more down and dirty football talk that we're going to get weird again. <laughs> and Stephen has not been around for as much of the weirdness. And so I want Stephen to be prepared for the weirdness, but I feel like we have to bring some of that back. Now, this is still like Tate Martell just transferred. Yeah, like, so there's still a lot going and, and, on. It almost seems like any time like we may have a chance to do something weird, like something the program happens, literally happens. So <laughs> we midnight. will get back to more of that. But but I'm telling you, like August September, I'm counting on my fingers again. By the way, I did a Twitter poll. How many people count on their fingers? It was about two thirds don't, one third do. Yeah, I, as right. I said last week, I'm with you on the counters. Hey, hey, we recognize this guy, <laughs> Professor Meyer. Good to see you. Podcast. How you, doing, sir? you look good. You look good. good. I can't wait to get up there on that floor and come see you in your new office. And come see me. I'll be there. It's a little bell size. I know. I know. You got to <laughs> get rid of some stuff, right? Garage sale. I said at the Meyer household. Oh, there you go. All right. I'll come see you. So that just became our best podcast cameo. Oh yeah. Even better than the. Uh, Tate Martell Panera cameo. Because I think they can actually hear him on it. That was That's Urban Meyer. That was Urban Meyer. So I, I think I was right. I think that is. It's a. It's I'm pretty sure it's class. All right, Stephen is going to uh, go enroll in this class <laughs> right now. Uh, can I tell you, he looked good. Yeah, he looked relaxed. Looked almost a little tanned. So smile on his face. Well, well, let's 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 gauge it because you know teaching comes with its own you know stresses, and so let's see by like May. Yeah, but I'll tell you what. Graden, he does look he – it's, it's good. Graden Papers isn't like uh, trying to beat Michigan. No, it's not. No, it's not $365. That was a happy – that was a happy Urban Meyer. All right. Um, we're going to speed around this a little bit, but we're going we're to warn you that it has been a serious, serious time of Ohio State football, and that's great. It's been – it's a really interesting program, and there's some crazy stuff happened, and guess what? Ohio State football is still Ohio State football. And I'll say this real quick. I, I hope Tate Martell was in like – Las Vegas when he like decided to tweet that out at midnight when I just set my alarm to go to sleep. Yeah. Um. So I want to thank you for that for like destroying the the three hours of sleep I planned to get before writing a story about you anyway. But but I would like to welcome Stephen to the um <laughs> writing up writing till four o'clock in the morning. Oh yeah. To finish a really good story that a lot of people read kind of thing, which is like you're exhausted the next day, but you get it's that worth little, it you get a little like, buzz because that story was well read. Let's get yeah. into that very quickly. What you wrote about Tate Martell and sort of the evolving Ohio State offense and how sort of things came down with him. I think Ohio State is in 
kind of a catch-up mode right now as far as where the, the landscape of college football has gone. For a long time, ever since 2012, when Florida manhandled Ohio State in the national championship game 41-14, to you saw a shift where the dual-threat run-first quarterback became a must-have. You saw it with Tim Tebow. You saw it with Cam Newton. You saw it with Taj Boyd. You saw it with on down the list, down the list, down the list, where it, even Alabama had it at one point where they, after A.J. McCarron, they had a couple of guys that were run-first type of quarterbacks. I mean, think about the dude that Ohio State played in the semifinal 2014, Blake Sims. Ran all over yeah. the place. That became the stand. And then when Urban Meyer showed up in two, for a long time, Urban Meyer was pretty much like the guy who kind of controlled the pulse of how college football was being played when he showed up at Ohio 100%. State. When, when he showed up at Ohio State, Ohio State already had that guy in place where it was literally – Oh my God, I can't wait to see what Braxton Miller Ultimate looks dude. like in the spread offense. He's going to be a Heisman guy. And he, he put up Heisman, like numbers where like he literally came into the 2014 season as a preseason Heisman candidate. And then he got hurt and obviously things changed. But even JT Barrett was offensive player of the year that year in that same exact system. And that was the way things were played. If you wanted to compete for a national championship, you had to have a running quarterback. And I think Ohio State played a role in this as well. Cardell, JT Barrett got hurt and Cardell Jones got on the field. And we come, we talked about this after the national championship game. If Dwayne Hassan could have done it to Alabama, we saw Trevor Lawrence do it to Alabama, and that was 100% yes. Well, the example is Cardell Jones, another guy with a great arm who threw the ball all over the place. And they beat Alabama that year, and they ended up winning the national championship that year. And I don't, that's a small way to look at it, but you kind of saw college football start to go the other way. You saw Jameis Winston in a pro style offense won the national championship with Florida State. And then the next year, they were in the college football playoff again, but they didn't win. That was the year Ohio State won. But since Ohio State won that initial college football playoff championship, you've seen Alabama and Clemson literally take turns holding that trophy up in the sky, and they played each other. I think three times. I'm pretty sure three times. I might be wrong. Well, they they played in the in the championship game three yeah, times, they, and last year they played they in, the in the semifinal. semifinal. So they've literally seen each other. But what you saw is Nick Saban decided <coughs> to make that change in the national championship, even though he had a run first style quarterback who literally had just won him a national championship twelve months prior. When he benched him in the national championship for Tua, who's more of a pass first guy, you saw it this year. Kelly Bryant went num was a number one seed in the in the at Clemson, and he gets benched for a two freshman who's a guy who's probably going to be the number one pick in the draft when he's eligible. And Urban, they didn't have to do that here because they had, a, like, this goes back to the argument. They had a three-year guy who was a starter, who was a run-first guy who fit that system well. It's part of the reason why Barrett beat Cardell Jones out for the job. He was better for that system, while Cardell Jones was a better NFL quarterback, and which is why it took him three games to end up being a, a, dra a draft pick in the NFL draft. Now this year, Dwayne Haskins kind of forced them to play catch up a little bit because you got that guy now who's an NFL style quarterback and he broke all types of records and was amazing and all these different things. And well, now Urban Meyer's not here anymore. He's no longer the coach. And you've got a guy who's not kind of married to having one system who is willing to kind of evolve with the way college football is going. And that's what sports is at the end of the day. It's a copycat thing. You see a team win. Okay, that's how you win a game. That's how you win a championship. That's how you see it in the NBA. You see it in NFL. You see it in hockey. You see it in baseball. You see, no matter what the sport is, you see a team win a championship, and that becomes the way that you're, that becomes the formula to win. No longer, Urban Meyer is no longer the coach, which means he's no longer the guy who has the pulse for that. Now it's just kind of all over the place, and it's part of the reason that Tate Martell is no longer here. He fit a style of play that was the way to win four or five years ago. So maybe if he was four or five years older, yeah, he'd end up being the starting quarterback at Ohio State. But now 
that's not the case and it's not necessarily his fault that that's not the way things are anymore but the Ohio State he committed to was Ohio State that Braxton Miller played under and then Ohio State JT Barrett played under which was the spread offense run first quarterback where the quarterback's gonna generate all this offense with both his arm and his leg every so often he'll throw up deep passes for a big play effect but for the most part zone reads read options all those different things and that changed over the last couple of years where now you got to have an NFL cal- caliber guy at your quarterback position and they got that in Justin Fields and no longer is the Tate Martell style of play going to be the thing that wins you a national championship G. Nilly, which game on the 2019 schedule would be the most impressive loss to woo the committee? I'm, I'm like preemptively impressive high on Nebraska. Loss. So he's kind of making a facetious thing since great losses are more important than what's great a ba- wins. What's, yeah. Um, the Nebraska game's at Nebraska next year, I think, right? Correct. Yeah. That's going to be a good loss if they lose that one. I, I can't, I, I mean, like, Adrian Martinez is really good. Um, and I think it's early enough for them to kind of bounce back, especially if they put together. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, part of it. it we'll, we'll get into the whole schedule. It's interesting. Gene Nelly, uh, how sad will all the Ohio State beat writers be without the chance to fanboy over Martell for the next three years? Listen, to be fair, it's mostly me and Landis. So, like, uh, let's give credit where credit is due about fanboying over Tate Martell. I'm the one who asked 4,000 questions about the Tate Martell package this season. So, please direct all your questions about that only was, to me. There was a part of me that was, like, excited to see him as a starting quarterback just because of all the storylines he could have played. So, Michael Wine, Michael Wine, a couple good questions in the lightning round. Bosa and Haskins are first-rounders. Who else will be drafted in the first three rounds? Draymond Jones, for sure. Yeah. I think Draymond Jones, if you look at draft boards, um, has a very good chance to be a first-round pick as well. And I think Kendall Sheffield's speed has a chance to blow people away. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike, and Paris Campbell. Paris Campbell's going in the first three rounds for sure. Guaranteed. I Don't didn't think, think of that one. But, like, yeah, that's a good one. I just yeah. didn't think of that just off the top of my head. I'm and not Michael like – Michael yeah. Jordan's going the first three rounds. Um, Where does Mike Weber go, in your opinion? I, I, I mean, I, I've seen some draft people say they really like him. Um, I don't know if there's a huge difference between, like, Mike Weber and Carlos Hyde. So, like, if you told me Mike Weber goes in the first three rounds, I wouldn't be surprised. I also think we might get over our skis a little bit on some of that. When you start evaluating guys at this point, it's like we don't know the guys from – South Dakota State and Troy and like all and there's always good guys from there. It's like oh Mike Weber, he's great. And it's like yeah, but there's a guy from North Carolina A and T that you never heard of who's better right. than him. So I think you have to be especially at the skill position sometimes. So, but I do think Michael Jordan, Paris Campbell, Draymond Jones, one hundred Bosa, Haskins, and maybe Kendall Sheffield. Sheffield will combine his way into the first three. Rounds. I mean he's he's got he's got the he's got the measurables. He was a former five star recruit and he's super fast. And again, Rose Bowl really good. Uh, Michael Wine had another one. Maybe I might end with this. I might end with this, and because I'd rather go one fifty than two twenty, um, and and we can get to some more next week. Michael Wine, because the Buckeyes still have the players from the loaded two thousand seventeen and eighteen recruiting classes, do they have to make the playoffs next year to show that they're still an elite program? And if they don't, will this be the end of top five recruiting classes? Here's what I think about that. Um, the most FBS wins over the last five years, Alabama has 67, Clemson has 65, and Ohio State comes in third at 62. Over the last five years? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, when you, when, t- when we're talking about that stuff, all that stuff, it's like, it's Bama and Clemson, and then Ohio State at the top of the next group. Yeah. So, like, if you're talking about to keep top five classes, it's like, well, maybe, like, to keep pace with Bama and Clemson, but if they don't make the playoff like does that mean they're falling behind Georgia and Oklahoma which is we keep talking about them as the five best programs 
the, those were exceptional classes, right? I mean, like like those 17 and 18 classes, the 13 class was exceptional, and then we saw what the 13 class did. They were the backbone of a national title. Mm-hmm. So regardless of what it would mean for the future, I just think it would be a disappointment in the present if those 17 and 18 guys never get in the playoff. And so next year when they're juniors and sophomores is the money year to do it because then you're going to start losing some of the 17 guys because yeah. Jeffrey Okuda and some of these – J.K. I don't know who exactly, but some of those guys are going to leave. Chase Young. Chase Young's not going to be around in, in, for would, his senior year. I would year. bet on Chase Young and Dobbins for sure. So um, so that's a big part of the issue, right? That it, Next year is the money year to capitalize on the two classes where – when they're juniors and sophomores, you're going to maximize that. When they're seniors and juniors, you're going to get everything out of the 18 guys, but some of the 17 guys are going to be already gone. So I, I don't know that there's a threshold for they've got to do this, they've got to do that to keep the top five recruiting classes. A lot of that is recruiting. It's not based on necessarily winning. Winning is part of it, but it's also relationships and strategy and all the things that matter and just the ability to close. Um, you know, Clemson doesn't put together top five classes, but they win. And then there are programs that do put to top, together top five classes and they don't win. So usually when we talk about Ohio State and Alabama, they were the best at recruiting, and then they also were on the field putting it together. So Ohio State just hasn't been there on the, has been a half step short on the field lately. So uh, you know if Ohio State starts getting the tenth best class in the country and the ninth best and the fourteenth best, I don't think that means the program overall will fall off the table if they have good coaches and a good scheme. Um, but so like. We're, everyone's going to be concerned about the future, but I think when we're talking about 2017 and 18, we're talking about them for their own sake. Because when they got here, we were talking about Urban Meyer is an unbelievable recruiter. They were as, as good as any classes he put together anywhere. And if those kids, what they did when they came here, when, when they saw what those 2013 guys did, what that class did, they, they put it on the board. They weren't just great recruits who turned into, into NFL draft picks. They put a title on the board. And if these guys get out of here without even getting a chance to really compete for a title, I think that, for its own sake, will be a disappointment for them and the program. I agree. You get, even given all the change, right? Even given all the change. The, the, the talent is still there. <clears throat> and that's why I thought, you know, I was waiting for some of those 2017 guys this year, and some of them did show up. You know, Jeffrey Okuda did show up, and Chase Young did show up, but I think they could show up even more. Uh, and I think we'll see that with those 17 and 18 guys next year. All right, listen, we have a million questions, but we can't get to all of them. So we're going to save some. I'm going to make a note of the ones I want to save. We didn't get the email questions this week. You guys still can send the emails. <coughs> you can, we'll get into more basketball and more grab-assery in the weeks ahead. Um, but there's still a lot going on with this football team right now. We don't know if we're going to get the chance to talk to Ryan Day or some of the new coaches coming up. If, if and when we do, that's going to be a lot of what we're talking about on this podcast too. Um, but it's, I think we're going to relax a little bit. In the weeks ahead, we're going to be able to step back a little bit, relax, take some big picture looks at things. Every time you say that, something happens. So I know. That's like, hold, I know. don't hold your breath. I know. <laughs> um, so I think we'll have some fun, but also it's been, you know uh, – it's been intense, and it's it's football is fun, sports is fun. There's been some really intense stuff that we've talked about, but I think it's been really interesting. So, um, it's been a wild ride since uh, since July um, until January, but we're going to step back and we're going to have a lot of, of, of unknowns. That's going to be fun to theorize and try to guess at what this Ohio State football team is going to look like in 2019, um, with an interesting quarterback situation, with a defense, with a new staff with some young guys who are going to get a chance to play with a lot of guys returning and with a coach who's never done it before. So 
with that, we'll get out of here. Uh, Twitter, it's at Buckeye Talk Pod, at Doug Maurice, at Stephen underscore Means. Again, the email is at Buckeye Talk Pod at gmail.com. You can always send there. We'll get to them. We'll get to them. Um, and make sure you're reading us at cleveland.com slash OSU. Anything else you want to add? No, just go read my article. It's really good. Tate Martell stuff, um, basketball stuff coming. Um, more Urban Meyer legacy stuff coming. I've got some stuff. Uh, I have some Michael Drake stuff coming that you might want to read. I have some Urban Meyer legacy stuff. I've got a couple Rose Bowl features still hanging in there. We're going to start breaking down depth chart stuff. Uh, we got a lot coming um, to reset this program in an interesting time for Ohio State football. So for now, uh, on behalf of Stephen Means, on behalf of our uh, cameo from Urban Meyer, I am Doug Maurice. Thanks, as always, to you guys for listening. And that was Buckeye Talk.